Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Uh, folks, I just want to let you all know, I went and saw Return of the King Extended Edition in theaters last week. Couldn't pass up the opportunity when I saw it. Also want to point out, uh, no bathroom breaks for me in the middle of that. Good Lord. Uh-huh. Four and a half hours. Dedication. Yes. That is what you get from the one and only Padawan J, a.k.a. The Plug, each and every time you tune into the ODPH, and even outside the show, because you can hit up on Twitter. Pat, if somebody wants to hit you up on Twitter, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. The link is right there on the front page, so you go right there. Follow the ODPH. Pad's link is right there, so you can go talk to him. Talk to him about Lord of the Rings. Talk to him about Star Wars. Talk to him about pro wrestling. Talk to him about sports. He's there for you, as I am too, but I always do the main account. If you try to bring up anything good about the Houston Astros, you're getting blocked. Yes, that is a fair, fair warning. But while you're on the website, too, you can check out the T Public store where you never know when a sale is going to pop up. I'm just saying that's why you should go every day and just see what kind of swag is available to you to purchase, represent the brand, and just enjoy something from the ODPH. That's the easiest way to put it. Also, check out the Patreon link uh, where some big news is going to be breaking on there. So for one tier, $2 a month, you'll get that exclusive information coming right to you before anybody else does. So definitely got to save that uh, as a little tease for all our amazing patrons where you can find out their links or who they are because they're right there on the front page as well. They have a link to their own section along with the Parlay Points Block section, which a lot of reviews are out this week. Let me tell you, is a great day to be talking comics, as we will do later in the show. And you can also check out the directory, which has how many providers, Pat? Uh, 419,000. Sounds about right to me. So if we're not on your favorite podcast player, I don't know what to do for you, because that is the easiest way to follow, rate, review, and share the show to anybody. It does help the algorithm. We do appreciate it a lot. Also, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The music section, where you can find out about the bands that you hear each and every time on the ODPH. Basically, if there's anything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And remember, on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. You have tuned into the entertainment edition of the show where we talk movies, TV, and comics. And one episode series has been dominating our attention span for quite some time now. And we have to kick off the show recapping the season finale. It's so weird to say that, Pat, but here we are of Disney Plus's Star Wars The Mandalorian. The global phenomenon starring Pedro Pascal as Din Djarin, the quote-unquote last Mandalorian, or so we all thought when this show started, mm-hmm. and his, how do you describe it, Pat? Uh, colorful cast of friends. Yes. That has really expanded the Star Wars mythos and introduced us to such great characters as the one and only Grogu, who has now been endeared by all of pop culture. Yeah. It has really been a journey to see where this show has just exploded onto the scene and where it's gone over the past three years as we've seen the series take off, have some spinoff shows and more coming on the way. Going into the season, we weren't really sure what to expect with the show. And now that we are at the season finale, there's a lot going on with that. 
So what we like to do, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We like to give a spoiler-free statement about the show. So if you haven't seen it yet, we're not going to ruin anything for you. We just give you our general thoughts. So if you want to go check it out, great. If you don't, then that's your discretion. But we like to give you fair warning, though. We give a countdown after that countdown is done. And we do this for each and every segment, too. We go deep diving into spoilers. So if you need to duck out for whatever reason, it's fine with us. We just like to give you that fair warning so we don't ruin anything for you. That said, Pat, give me your spoiler-free statement on Chapter 24, The Return. Episode was good. You know, I wouldn't say it was the greatest episode of all time. I wouldn't say it's the worst of all time. It's kind of like, kind of in the middle, but skewing more towards the better side of the scale, you know, for me. You know, to me, it felt like the end of an arc in an anime. Mm -hmm. You You know, where you have an overarching story and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Once we reached the end of this uh, the episode and the end of this season, you know, it felt like things got tied up in such a neat bow that it's like, okay, everything that happened before this over and done with, you know, if they come back for season four, because we, we don't know. The only thing we know of is that Dave Filoni is going to be directing the, you know, the upcoming movie that's going to be the book end of the Mando as It's been dubbed, right? you know, so whether they come back for a season four or not, you know, feels like it's going to be a, a sort of fresh start, new story, new enemies, new this, new that, you know, so where we go from after this, we'll see. But for the episode, I thought it was good. I thought it was solid for what it was. I didn't think it was bad by any means, but I felt that everything just tied up too nicely with this series. Mm -hmm. Like it just didn't have that big cliffhanger moment. It didn't have me feeling like they're coming back anytime soon. Right. It felt like this is a bookend in its own right. Right. And I definitely got this and this is not a spoiler by any means because there's nothing there. It definitely, I, I got that bookend feel once we went into the credits but yes. then but then once you went I went through the credits there and there was nothing there I'm like okay yeah we're officially done with this story yeah and to see them come back I wouldn't be surprised but I think it's going to be a while till we see Dinjarin and Grogu back on the small screen right I could be surprised and there could be a cameo obviously with a lot of the spin-off shows That'd coming up I guess yeah but as far as a full-blown Mandalorian return I think we're going to be waiting a while we could be just on how the ending was. And it was a very solid episode. It didn't shatter the internet like a lot of people thought it was going to. It did have some great character moments. And I really felt that they tied up everybody's story that was a major player of the season, including Katie Sackhoff's Bo Katan. I thought that they did a phenomenal job with her, and I would love to see her story continue on after this. But we really don't know the future of what, is going on with the show and who's coming out of this with, right. a, with a different series. Right. We only know that there's more spinoffs coming. One big tease was announced last episode, and we're waiting to see how that all transpires as the year goes on. But it's still a, a very solid episode from top to bottom, and there's a lot to enjoy <clears throat> to really cap off a very steady season. I mm-hmm. think there was only maybe one misfire that we originally thought was going to happen, and obviously it was retconned as the season went on. Yep. So that being said, it's still worth a watch. It's definitely worth your time. And I think you'll end on a very satisfied note. I'm not going to say this is going to absolutely change your landscape of Star Wars and blow your mind, but I think it's very solid for what they needed to do. If you've been in for the ride for this long at this point, you'll enjoy the ending. You know? yeah. You're not going to come out of this going, oh, my God, this was the greatest story ever told. The, you know, The writing was incredible, the best I've ever seen. But if you've watched for you know three seasons now, you'll come out of it going, yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
Let's give that countdown and get into the spoiler talk. So, Pad, in three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, it was a good episode. I, I thought, all things considered, the action sequences were awesome. You know, the, the story, the way it ended was really good. You know, and it, and it really did feel like the end of the arc, mm-hmm. you know, or the end of the book, you know, and the, the, what if they, like I said, we don't know if they're going to do a season four. The only thing we know is that movie that's coming at some point that's going to be the book end of the Mandoverse. Could they fit another season in? Sure. You know, would I love to see it? Absolutely. You know, but whatever they do after the, after this season, it's not going to tie in too heavily to what happened here because this felt if you like i said if you've ever watched anime you know dragon ball z for example you know when they get to the end of the cell saga and the and gohan finally defeats cell in dragon ball z you know you really don't see cell turning up much after the after that saga mm. he's referenced and he's mentioned you know in in mainline dragon ball z i'm not talking gt because that's a whole other ball of wax you know, but he's he, it's mentioned and it's brought up a couple of times, but like he's not showing up and you're not going back and like revisiting plot lines and storylines for that. Like, hey, that was the end of that story arc. We're moving on. That's what this felt like to me. Yeah, it was a situation where things were just kind of left so open ended mm-hmm. that I thought with that final shot, though, for some reason, I just started hearing Midnight Rider right. by the Allman Brothers playing. Yeah. Just as that shot was going away, like there was just something that just felt like they're just easing off into the sunset. Well, and I think a lot of it is setting up for that upcoming movie that Dave Filoni is directing mm-hmm. because there are certain aspects of this I don't think we'll see again until that movie. They might get mentioned and they might get referenced and we might hear something about, you know, what's been going on there or, or how things are going. Mm-hmm. But in terms of seeing those people or those places, I we might not see them until that movie. Well, that could be a very true statement, too, because they did have a lot of characters crash this season because the theme of this season in general has been the search for Mandalore mm-hmm. and really defining who the Mandalorian was. Because as far as we know, he's just been the protector and guardian of Grogu, who was the original first bounty that we saw him go claim. Mm-hmm. And he decided to flip on his uh, benefactors, shall we say at the time? Sure. And decided to go his own route, and that definitely crossed past with the Empire and, and great characters in the Star Wars mythos, especially Moff Gideon, who's played by the one and only Giancarlo Esposito. Fantastic actor. Yes. I mean, obviously, he crushes every role he's in. So seeing how they went back to him this season, even though it was late and brief. Yeah, it was. It still made an impact. But how they wrapped up his story, I think that's the only thing I didn't like, per se. Okay. But we'll get into it as we go, because the whole thing was Moff Gideon had taken over Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And has made that his home base. He's been using Beskar armor to empower his soldiers yep. and really make a play to be a force against the New Republic. And where Bo-Katan Kreese has come in, and like I said, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about Katie Sackhoff's performance this season. I think that she has been the true MVP of this show. Oh, yeah. And I think the Dinjarin story took a back seat <clears throat> to her story. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Because her story has more impact moving forward. Right. Mando's has always, after he has protected Grogu, really what's in it for his character, other than he really wanted to connect back to his Mandalorian uh, history. Right. And I thought he did a great job with it, but they tied it up very quickly to now that he was allowing Bo-Katan to call the shots, and that worked out perfectly as the story progressed on. But as the final battle had ensued, the Mandalorian warriors had now come back home, 
and become trapped by the Empire. Yeah. Moff Gideon had been setting everything up to get the Darksaber back from Boat Catan. Right. And, and they really got suckered into this because, as we saw earlier in the season, you know, Din Djarin and, and Grogu and uh, R5 or whatever the astromech is. Yeah. Uh, went to the planet. Saw nothing other than the giant monster underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Bo-Katan showed up, again, saw nothing other than the monster under the planet, and then they had the space battle, but they weren't there before. They showed up, saw literally nothing, you know, mm-hmm. nothing in orbit. They must have been on the wrong side of the planet, otherwise they might have seen something on the ground, whatever. But, like, they got suckered into thinking, hey, we can go here. It's not inhospitable like everyone has claimed. We right. actually we actually can reclaim this place and make a living out of this place. Uh, yeah, about that. Yeah, no, Gideon had set up everything the entire time. He lured everybody back because he wanted to wipe every single Mandalorian off the face of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. That was his whole plan because he wanted to take the Beskar armor and just r- r- go places with it and just really make himself into a major player. Yeah. So the whole setup has been here. They trapped the Mandalorian army that was fighting back. We saw a tremendous fight scene happen with Paz Vizsla oh. losing the battle of you know, the to the Praetorian Guards. Yeah, I say, boy, when, when people go down swinging in Star Wars and they don't come back from it, boy, they really go down swinging. Right. Whew. So when we jump into this episode, Bo-Katan is leading the remaining army of Mandalorians yeah. out of the Imperial base. Yeah. And obviously, this is something that she's adapting to on the fly. Right. Because this is something she had never crossed her mind. Because like we touched upon, she thought the base was safe. There was nothing wrong. Right. And as we see, Axe Wolves did escape and yep. was trying to reach everybody else that was on the Mandalorian Warriors. Dude is literally sprinting across the landscape and then jetpacks into the sky. All the meanwhile, Bo-Katan and the rest of the soldiers are underground fighting for their lives. And and I, I, I didn't count numbers. I'm willing to say it's a safe bet they were outnumbered hilariously. Oh, yeah. You know, so Axe is fl- going out, you know, trying to get reinforcements because there are still some left in, left in orbit in case something goes wrong. <laughs> well, hey, something went wrong. SOS, we need help. Yeah, Bo-Katan was very smart about this when she strategized about what to do because obviously you sent everybody in. Yeah. And something happened like this. You're almost yeah. asking for trouble. You're asking for it. So she understood what was going on and having Axe go fly and go get whatever reinforcements she he can yeah. was a huge factor because she's in there just trying to keep everybody calm and keep everybody alive. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Din Djarin was captured by yeah. Moth Gideon at the end of the last episode. And basically the standoff was there. The Gideon is going into complete supervillain mode. Oh, yeah. And giving him a little monologue just saying, like, this has been my plan the entire time. I have been waiting for this moment. I'm going to get the Darksaber back, and then I'm just going to wipe you and everybody else off the face of Mandalore. And then I'm going to rule the Empire. Yep. And he has big aspirations, but he's pulling it off with what he has. Right. So as he leaves Din Djarin to face off against the Praetorian Guards, he, Din Djarin gets a surprise help from the one only Krang. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Grogu, who yeah. is now inside IG-12. Yep. And like I say, the easiest comparison, if you haven't seen it, is Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Somebody literally, you can pr- find it online, somebody literally took the Spider-Man meme, but then put Krang on one side, and then Grogu and IG-12 on the other side, and they're both pointing at each other. And it's not wrong. No, it's not. So as you're seeing, they're, he's having the fight his way through, because I know originally he had to go fight some soldiers off. Yeah. And he d- he does that. And, yeah, he does. And I know we kind of skipped a little ahead of that. 
there wasn't really a lot to this scene other than he does escape. He's taken mm-hmm. out the regular soldiers. He has to get R5 to or D4 mm-hmm. to unlock the the the, uh, the gates or the laser walls. Right. Almost like what you see in the Phantom Menace. Yeah, and I almost thought it kind of telegraphed itself. So that's why I didn't want to spend too much time talking about that scene. No. Just because we, we'd we seen it before. I mean, it's, it's a fun action sequence. That, the, I think that sequence, all it was meant to do was just kind of build the tension. Um, yeah. Because, like, like, it would have been one thing if, like, oh, all the all the doors opened and they all just rushed him. And it was just him going super soldier, Captain America, and just fighting them all off simultaneously. But it built the tension of, like, no, he's got to, like, rocky this thing and, like, fight them one by one, round by round, and get to the end. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great fight sequence. Don't get me wrong. But like I say, it, it felt telegraphed. So I yeah. didn't want to spend too much time yeah. talking about it. And especially because how R5 gets out of this. Yeah. Because you see the little droid. The mouse six, droid. Yeah, the mouse droids coming at him. and The alarms are going off. Yeah, so everything's now holding up yeah. Dinjarin from getting through to the last force field. is blocking everything off. Or the last shield, I should say. Yeah. So I thought they, like I say, it felt a little telegraphed, but it wasn't bad, though, because seeing how he's defeating the Beskar soldiers yeah. was very interesting because he was using a knife to hit in the joints where the spots were open. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, okay, that's actually pretty smart considering oh, yeah. his laser shots were only working to some degree, but not really. Kind of can cost him more than anything. Right. So that's why I say the bigger fight was against the Praetorian Guards and seeing how Grogu had to come in and save him. Unarmed, mind you. Yeah. Like, how wild was this scene? That was fucking wild, and I, I was convinced Grogu was going to die. Yeah, me too. Because, like, the, the sound kind of went down, some, like, somber music kicked up, and he ran in there hitting the no button. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. And I'm like, and he's running in there with no weapons. Yeah. Other than his the arms on the droid, I'm like, there's no lightsaber. There's no electro staff. There's no, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy shit, are they about to pull one of the biggest, like, gutsy moves of all time and kill off Grogu? Yeah. Like, the internet is going to lose its shit if this happens. Right. But it's just, it's a crazy scene to see how he has to face them off. Because at one point, we have Din Djarin getting with Bo-Katan to face Moff Gideon in the final mm-hmm. standoff. Yeah. Gideon winds up getting them separated again, too. I thought that was something they did play a lot during these past two episodes. Right. Gideon was being very tactful about this. Well, and I think that's him learning from last season. Yes. On season two, where he basically, tr- with the Death Troopers, tried to take on, you know, all of their for- all of their forces, and their forces, I mean, the Mandalorian and Bo-Katan and everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and he-, and he saw what happened when he tried to take them on one by one, he one on uh, by himself he got his ass kicked yeah so he realizes hey okay i can't take them on by myself i got to get them separated yeah which was smart too because now you had grogu facing off against the praetorian guards yep that was a wild sequence and jaren comes in and makes the save and then grogu has to use the force on them yeah to stop the guards how crazy was this again thought he was gonna die because he's still in danger ig12 gets destroyed yeah like cut in half or something and so grogu leaps out of the cockpit of this thing Mm -hmm. leaps onto some scaffolding above and he's running across for his little life yeah and at the moment i knew he'd be fine is i had the subtitles turned on because i couldn't tell who was talking at the start of the episode and i turned them on um is is when the subtitle came up and it said giggling in the little parentheses. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's playing with them. He'll be fine. Well, the one thing that we have to realize, and I think we forget this as fans a lot, 
is how much he's learned yeah. since yeah. the start of the show. Yeah. He did have training with Luke Skywalker of all. For like two years. Yeah. So of all people to learn from, I think he had a good trainer there, along with Din Djarin showing him something in the Mandalorian right. ways. Right. So Grogu can handle himself. Like yeah, we also got to remember he did have probably a little bit of teaching at the Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Grogu can can do decent fighting. Yeah. Like, he's not on that elite level by no. any stretch of the imagination. Not yet. But to see him face against off the Praetorian Guards, like, that was a big deal. Yeah. And obviously when Din Djarin has to come in and save him, that's a huge one, too. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the fight going on between Gideon's forces and the army that Axe Wolves brings back. Oh, my God. This is awesome. Yeah. Do you want to break this scene down? So Axe shows up to the spaceship, like we mentioned, goes, SOS, we need help, and, and sends down everybody mm-hmm. that's on the remaining ships, or the, re- the remaining ship. Uh, and so he uh, Axe stays on the bridge of the ship to pilot the whole thing. And he goes, no, listen, I got this. One person can run this. Y'all need to go down there and save them. Yeah. So it's literally the rest of their forces, which there had to be north of 100 guys. Oh, easily. Soldiers fighting this. Easily. And then you have just as many Imperial soldiers flying at them. Everybody's got jetpacks. And all of a sudden, instead of being a space battle with X-Wings and TIE Fighters, it's a space battle with jetpacks. And the only thing missing was highway to the danger zone. Oh, my God, yeah. Somebody's got to put that out on the internet. Like, we need that scene. The armor showed up with the jetpack, was flying through the air and smacking people with her hammer. Yeah. In midair. Oh, my God. Emily Swallow, who plays the armor, really had a breakout scene here because we'd always know the armor was not to be messed with. No. And now we see why, because she's just literally flying around and impaling people with the hammer. Because, like, you see the, the Imperial soldiers and the Mandalorians using blasters, and the Mandalorians use, the if, if they got them, their rockets mm-hmm. or whatever other armaments they have. And here comes armor just yeah i don't got any guns i don't got any missiles i don't got a flamethrower i have a hammer yeah no it was a completely crazy scene and we also see how the rest of the mandalorians are fighting back like i say the action here is really fast yeah and it's a lot to intake at once too (coughs) but i thought they did a real nice job with that and then with axe wolves and we have to say simon cassie and d's real good real good in this performance because i honestly thought he was flipping I thought he was going to the Empire at one point. Well, so that was the whole speculation that I didn't realize or had come about until yesterday mm. uh, was how people thought that there was some sort of turncoat in the Mandalorian camp because how did uh, how, how did Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon figure out how to make Beskar armor? So there was some, and I even saw somebody do a joke video on an Instagram reel. Where it was somebody in a in a Din Djarin cosplay costume in front of like a bunch of other people cosplayed as other characters from the show, and it and it was this whole like suspect board you'd see on like Law and Order mm-hmm. or something like that. It's like and he's like, all right, somebody's clearly helping Moff Gideon because he's got Beskar armor, and here's my list of people who I think it is. And I was like, I didn't realize this was a whole thing, but no, you're right. It did seem like he might have been flipping for a minute. Yeah, when he flew in there and kicked everybody off the ship, I'm like, oh, he's gonna turn. Yeah. That, that going ship's going to do a 180, come down and start firing on him. Yeah. But he winds up steering the ship and battling every single Empire ship that is the attacking thing, him. I think it was a bunch of TIE fighters and stuff, yeah. it was. This scene was absolutely wild in its own right, too, because he's sitting there trying to fight everybody. By himself. Which, by himself. Which, uh, unlike a, a car or, or an airplane, you can't exactly pilot with just one person. Right. Which, I mean, this was just a crazy idea to do, but he is this desperate to try yeah. helping 
Bo-Katan's army yeah. win. So he's willing to take this risk, and he's taking immense damage. Like, there's no chance. Like, I thought he was going to get killed in this mm-hmm. because of how much damage the ship was taking. And especially we see it now falling into Mandalore. Yeah, on fire, mind you. On fire, yeah. So it's like literally a burning comet, just mm-hmm. a really big one because obviously this is a battleship. Yep. Not the first time we've seen that this season, too. No. Also not the first time we've seen that in Star Wars happened in Revenge of the Sith. Right. So they did go back to the playbook about this. Not mad about it, though. I want to stress this. Makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. The only thing that I noticed they did a lot this season, and we saw it again, too, was the one camera angle when they're flying. Yeah, when they like something, they like something. Yeah, it's it's almost like the fish lens, yeah. so to speak. So it, they definitely kind of tied it in with this, with the fighting going on. So we, right now we have three big battles happening. Yeah. And then it all really centers around Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. And Moff, who is now in his Beskar armor, too. With the helmet. With a helmet, too. How badass did that look? That's going to be a figure from Hasbro. I hope it's a Funko Pop because that figure, that looks awesome. Yeah, that looks absolutely incredible. You see him get the upper hand on Bo-Katan. Yeah. And to the point where he is so strong in his armor now. Right. He crushes her hand and the Darksaber in general. Mm-hmm. So that was a very shocking move for me because the center of his, you know, focus right. has been to take out the Mandalorians, but it's also to been reclaim the Dark Saber. Mm-hmm. So now he eliminates that off the table. Right. And now he's just hellbent in high water convinced he is going to take out <clears throat> Bo-Katan. And he even offers, like, if you surrender now, you'll have a, a quick death. And Bo is not hearing this. Mm-hmm. Even with a broken hand, she is still fighting back. Awesome action sequence. Oh, it is. And all the meanwhile, <clears throat> all the meanwhile, uh, Moff Gideon is monologuing again because as we saw, we all, we forgot to mention it, as we saw earlier in the episode while uh, Din Djarin and Grogu are chasing after Moff Gideon, they come upon a bunch of tanks uh, fil- oh, filled, right. filled with some figures in it. And we learn what the plan has been between the cloning and the and Dr. Pershing and what all else it is, he hasn't been trying to clone Palpatine. He's been trying to clone Moff Gideon. Yeah. And Moff Gideon has been trying and he and in his words, he claims, take it for what it's worth, he was real close to cloning himself and giving himself the one thing he's never had. The, the force. force. And he was gonna unleash an army of himself on the galaxy, and they were all gonna be force users slight flaw in the plan high i'm gonna flex my star wars muscles it's great knowledge got the force you ain't gonna fucking know how to use it yeah i that's it's, it's it's one thing if palpatine clones himself because he's got the knowledge and you know mind transfer and all that other nonsense but like gideon's gonna be a child when it comes to the force he ain't gonna know how to fucking use it well that's one thing i kind of brushed off so i mean i didn't really pay that much attention to it i I just noticed it because i'm like oh we're figuring out what the whole plan with cloning has been this entire time yeah because i think it ultimately revolved back to palpatine so did i but turns out it wasn't it was, yeah. it was gideon trying to clone himself yeah which, I which mean, it's gonna end up being used for palpatine oh yeah well it will be but i don't doubt that gideon has a clone out there somewhere now there it could be because i think with obviously how the ending of this goes could be I think it ended too abruptly, mm-hmm. even though it was a definitive exclamation point that he's gone. And it certainly looked like once Grogu and Din Djarin figured out what was going on with the cloning tanks, mm-hmm. it looked like they destroyed them all. Now, if we know anything about the Empire and, and Moths, they like to have plans on top of plans unless unless you know you don't escape the death, the death Star when you should have. 
you know, but they like to have plans and they like to have backup plans. So I wouldn't put it past him having a clone someplace, but given the way the story ends, I don't think so. Yeah, it, it could go either way, but how the story ends too is Bo-Katan and Din Djarin wind mm-hmm. up taking the fight right to Gideon. Yep. And Gideon is getting the upper hand. Yeah. But that starship that Axwells has been piloting. He, which he ejects himself from. Yes, he does. He ejects himself. Mm-hmm. Is now crashing through to the Imperial base. Mm-hmm. And it is burning everybody in sight. Uh-huh. And it is literally exploding the base. Mm-hmm. And you see Gideon, who's in his monologue because he thinks he's going to win. Yep. Basically claiming victory. And then he doesn't realize what's coming down around him until it's too late. Mm-hmm. He gets engulfed in the flames and incinerated. So that version of Gideon, that's for sure dead. Yeah, he's yeah that one. Based off that explosion, there ain't no surviving that one. No chance, not at all. No. And Bo-Katan and Dinjarin should be dead. Yeah. But lo and behold, oh my god, break it down. So in the midst of the explosion, and it looks like they're about to die. You then see the flames peel back a little because you're, the screen's covered in flames. But then the flames start to peel back a little bit. And you realize that Grogu is in front of them holding back the explosion with the force. Yeah. And I and I got to give credit to the composer. The music for this sequence was fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And I legit got goosebumps on both of my arms up and down, hair standing up on end watching this scene it was incredible it's a fan moment for sure oh my god like top 10 moments i've seen recently yeah no it really establishes grogu being the the one that has all the hype around him for reason mm-hmm. he's somebody that came in there and literally saved them you could see on katie sackoff's acting too yeah she's like what the fuck she doesn't know what to do she's like no. what the heck is like it, they should she knows they should be dead yeah i love her reaction to all this going on because it's just this wonderment yeah and just like unable to comprehend what she is seeing because you're just seeing grogu just throw his hand up yeah and note, she doesn't have her helmet on, so that's how we can see mm-hmm. her reaction. And it is just a wild scene. So they wind up withstanding the blast <laughs> yeah. because Grogu creates a force force field? Force shield, force bubble, force something. However you want to describe it, winds up saving everybody. Mm-hmm. There, as in those two, because if you didn't make it out, unfortunately, you did not survive this. Probably not. So the Empire army on Mandalore is gone. Mm-hmm. It looked like the majority of Mandalorians survived. There's a couple deaths, but they didn't seem like they lost a whole ton. Right. It didn't seem, you know, super crazy like, yeah. you know, yeah. a Game of Thrones scene. We'll just no. put it out there mildly. No. So now you have what I call like the Return of the Jedi ending. Kind of. You have everybody at the Living Waters again. And the idea is brought up and approved by the armorer that Din Djarin is now going to officially adopt Grogu. Mm-hmm. And the new name is? Din Grogu. Yes. So Din Grogu is now officially a Mandalorian and goes through uh, reciting the Mandalorian Creed as much as he can. Well, and kudos to John Favreau for suckering the shit out of me with this scene because when Din Djarin goes up to the armor and brings up the, the prospect of bringing him on as his apprentice, and the, and the armor says, well, you can't do that. He's too young. He can't answer for himself. And I can't remember if it was the armor or, or Din Djarin who brought this up. But I think it was Din Djarin who brought up, well, the pa- parents could answer for him. Mm-hmm. And there was a pause. 
and I sat up and I went, oh, shit, is he about to say where I'll go find his parents? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'll, so I'll go find Yoda's race because legitimately we're however many years removed since Empire Strikes Back came back came out. Mm-hmm. We still don't know what Yoda's race is called. Yeah. You know, Jar Jar Binks' uh, people are called Gunkins. Mm-hmm. You know, Ewoks are, well, Ewoks. Ewoks. Wookiees are Wookiees. You know, Huts are Huts. Yoda's race literally is called, Yoda is literally called Yoda's race because yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, are they about to pull back one of the biggest curtains in Star Wars history? And and that's what season four is going to be. We're going to go find his parents. And I'm like, whoa, sh- I'm, I'm here for this. And then he adopts it. I'm like, okay, no, you know what? I'm all right with this. Yeah, that's a that's an easier way out. And yeah. I I, I, yeah. I'm not, I wasn't mad about this either. I was like, okay, this is the only thing that makes sense because obviously what they've gone through. And you've seen how <coughs> Din Djarin has taken a parental love to him. Yeah. So you understand that, that he, he's more than willing to do this. And especially with Grogu reciprocating that and treating Din Djarin as a parent because he walks away from Luke Skywalker. Like, yeah. Let's not forget about yeah. that. Yeah. So, Luke gave him a choice and he picked Din Djarin. Yeah. So... Din Grogu is now officially certified as a Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Albeit, though, there is a very interesting scene that happens. Mm-hmm. And Din Grogu is now staring into the living waters. Uh-huh. And a certain pair of eyes stares back at him. Uh-huh. Pat, who is that? That would be the Mythosaur. Yes, the legendary Mandalorian creature. Seems like a uh, sign of approval if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I was going to say, if you needed a cosign, you can't get a better one than that <laughs> from, from the Mandalorians. Nope. So that ties up that story for the most part. Bin, um, Bo-Katan and the armor now yep. established camp at Mandalore. They uh, reignite the, the Great Forge. Yes. So we that's how that story ends. Right. It's very open-ended, so I don't doubt we hear about something involving Bo-Katan sooner than later we could i also think this is one of the aspects i was kind of alluding to i wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear from them again until it comes time for that dave filoni movie you know which signs are pointing to it's going to be heir to the empire mm. which you're gonna need, you're gonna take on thrawn and his army you're gonna need a lot of help yeah mandalorians are a pretty goddamn good start oh yeah well. so Am I am I saying I don't want to see a, a Bo-Katan or a spinoff for the on the for the folks on Mandalore? No, I would love to see that. Give me more fucking Katie Sackoff. Absolutely. You know, but at the same time, I'm leaning more towards they're setting up the chess pieces for that are required for this quote unquote game that is going to be this. You know, I'll, I'll call it this until we find out its actual title. This heir to the Empire movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just setting up the pieces, and I would not be surprised if we don't see them again. I'm not saying we won't see maybe a cameo, but for an extended storyline, you know, throughout a, the, the season four, if they do one, I don't think so. It's really up in the air, but at least this chapter has ended. We got full closure. Yep. So the story of Din Djarin, though, is not over yet. No. Because as he's flying back to Navarro, mm-hmm. he runs into, I guess we can say... Takes a, a pit stop. Uh, yeah. And uh, he runs into, dare we say, a new best friend. Uh, or at least an acquaintance he gets along with. Uh, and that would be Carson Tiva. He goes to a planet. Don't know which one it is. Didn't look familiar to me. They didn't put a name up, so it must not be that important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a cantina of sorts with a lot of New Republic soldiers in it because they're all wearing the orange flight suits you see from the uh, original trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and he goes up and, and Carson Tiva, he hits up Carson Tiva, 
All the while Grogu is going there with him and he sees now no sees the the trophies up in the uh, uh, roof or the ceiling of the of the cantina gets real excited when he sees the IG head and that'll come back into play later mm-hmm. uh but they start talking and Carson Tiva thanks him for the help he gave with Moff Gideon right and and uh, Din, uh, Din Jarin goes, hey, listen, it's no big deal. You guys would have gotten there eventually. Just we got there before you did. Mm-hmm. And he brings up, well, hey, you know, this is my apprentice. I'm back on the market doing for some work. But since he's with me, I want to be a little more selective with my work. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, what did you have in mind? He goes, well, you guys don't have enough forces to patrol the outer rim and keep everything safe. I want to take some, and I'm paraphrasing, I want to take some of that burden off your back and you can slide some jobs my way. I'll take care of them where you guys can't or where you guys need some help. And Carson Tiva goes, listen, I could run this up. And again, I'm paraphrasing. He goes, listen, I could run this up the line, but it'll never get approved. And that's when Din Jaren goes, well, that you don't have to. And, and at that point he goes, okay, I think I might be able to do that. Well, I think it's a smart play by everybody. Yeah. Because obviously Tiva knows that something is going on at the Republic complex. Yeah, yeah he does. If if you follow his storyline alone, he knows there's something going on in the outer rims. Yeah, and we do know that Elia Kane is still lurking in the shadows. Yeah. There too. Yeah. So he understands obviously with what happened with Navarro in the first place, the Republic right now can't be fully trusted. Nope. But he has to do his due diligence. And seeing Dinjarin now take this approach towards being a hero mm-hmm. from being a former bounty hunter. It's a real interesting character development. Yeah. Because at first he was just doing it for the job, but Grogu has now really won him over that he wants to make himself better. Mm-hmm. And this is how he feels he does this because there's something about helping others that mm-hmm. has really connected with him in a way that he hasn't felt before. Right. And you see this progression that you know, his actions have now led him wanting to be a better Mandalorian. So thus he's wanted to really make sure that, you know, he broke the creed and now he wanted to make sure that he made amends for that. Right. Well, and even you talk about character development from Din and look at like the opening of the first episode from season one. Yeah. Where he's going after the guy in the cantina on some random planet and he tracks the guy down and he goes, I can bring you in alive. Or I can bring you in cold, and I don't care which I have to do. Mm-hmm. And he ends up freezing the guy in carbonite, which, remember from Empire Strikes Back, that doesn't go right. That can kill a person. Right. It's a crazy scenario to think about, but this shows the growth in his character. Yeah. And now he's at a place where he really wants to do good on his own terms. Mm-hmm. Because he has something to really set an example for, and that's Grogu. So he winds up leaving with this new deal. Yep. He goes back to Navarro yep. and catches up with Grief Cargo yep. and says, I'm going to take you up on your offer. Yep. I'm setting up shop here. But I also have something for you in return. Brought you a gift. And Pad, what is that gift? So that is a rebuilt IG-11. So the head he saw at the cantina, he brought back with him and then had enough pieces to rebuild IG-11. Mm-hmm. And IG-11 comes roll, strolling in there saying, hello, I am your new sheriff and I am here to help you folks in any way you need. Yes. To the applause and happiness of everybody. Yeah, because they were missing the parts to fix them originally. Yep. yep. They had a makeshift with IG-12, yep. but now they have the original back up and running. So that's a big win for Navarro. Yeah. And the final shot is the Mandalorian is in his place in seclusion mm-hmm. and just sitting on the front of the house on the on the porch, I guess is the easiest way to describe it, Yep. and just 
sitting back and relaxing. Then looking out on a grateful universe. Wait, shit, wrong franchise. Yeah, it's it's a wild scene. That's why I said like I heard Midnight Rider. Yeah, playing, and I'm just like, damn, like mm-hmm. this is just because you can just hear like one more silver dollar. Like he's just lounge. It's just like he's yeah. lounging yeah. and watching the world go by him. Yeah, and Grogu is trying to eat another frog. Yes, because hey, reasons. Yeah. So that's how everything wraps up. So I guess, Pad, final thoughts on the season and episode. Fantastic season. Loved it from start to finish. Uh, even the you know kind of dull parts. Like I said, ended up playing a factor in the end. I think the MVP of the season, if I have to give out MVP, is uh, Katie Sackhoff. Is yeah, hands Oscar, down. Which I think part of that goes back to how good an actress she is, but also the fact she has been playing this character since January. I had to look it up. Since January 13th of 2012. That is when the character Bo-Katan Kryze first appeared in Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 4, Episode 14, titled A Friend in Need. So she's literally been playing this character off and on for 11 years. Yeah. And I think that the benefit of Kobe goes back to, you know, how good, it, like I said, how good an actress she is. But then also, that episode was directed by Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. She's been working with Filoni and this character off and on for 10 years. Also heavily involved with The Clone Wars you know, for the first six seasons was George Lucas. Yeah. You know, so George Lucas heavily involved, worked with Dave Filoni. So I think that just speaks back to how good an actress she is and some of the folks that were involved with this and just how great it played. You know, but overall, the season was phenomenal. The episode, good ending. You know, like I said, it felt like the end of the arc. You know, we wrapped up some, we wrapped up the storylines. It really didn't feel like there's anything lingering. And the fact that there wasn't a bonus scene or bonus scenes in mm. the credits kind of confirms to me, this is the end of this storyline. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with it. I think overall the season, I mean, we don't do grades here, but I guess if we have to give it, like, out of stars. Sure. I would say this season was a 4-4. I agree with you. Four and a half, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's in that range. It's not perfect. few no. things are, like, because no. I always get hit up about, like, you know, you guys never grade. I'm like, well, listen, nothing is ever perfect. No. So it's hard to really say something's a five-star for the most part. Right. But I thought for what they did with this season, they really showed a different side of the Mandalorian and really it came full circle, so Mm -hmm. to speak, because as we saw him in the first episode of season one, he wasn't exactly a reputable person. They could have easily with the show done like the greatest hits and and visited Tatooine and visited Coruscant and visited all these other planets we know from the movies and just like and and just done a nostalgia trip on Mm. Bespin, Hoth, like and gone to all the familiar sets we know of, interacted with all the characters we know from the movies and and then loosely tied it in with some stuff that might have you know come from the original trilogy or led into the sequel trilogy which they kind of did but i'm just saying like yeah. you know less so than they did but they didn't do that you know sure we saw coruscant but that was really from what i can remember the only legacy planet i guess we can call from mm-hmm. from star wars mythos you know it's all been new stuff it's all been new characters you know so yeah some bleed over with boba fett and bo-katan and and ahsoka and luke but it, it wasn't so heavy up until this season, I would say, on those characters. Yeah. You know, so they've done an original story, which, like I said, they could have leaned on some older stuff and just gone for that full-blown nostalgia, but they didn't. No, I, I'm glad they didn't, especially with the hype going around this show. And let's face it, this is what put Disney Plus on the map. This yeah. gave new life to a Star Wars universe that at the time... Floundering. Was floundering. Yeah. Like I say... It had a couple of hits, but not to the level it is now. Right. But this this gave new life, and especially going back to the formula of the universe that everybody loves, which yeah. is... I mean, 
Luke, Han, and Leia is Star Wars. Yeah. And anything that you can do to connect with that time period is always going to be a smash if it's done right. I think the job Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau have done with the show has been very solid, and especially you have an open playbook, but you also have to deal with a fan base that is now bigger mm-hmm. because you've crossed over into pop culture. And it stretches multiple generations. Exactly. So you can't have a misfire. So even when they do a solid season, which this was, mm-hmm. that's still a big win. Yeah. Because not everything is going to be 100%. As a Star Wars fan since 1997, when I saw A New Hope, when it was re-released in theaters, mm-hmm. this has been the best period for Star Wars I've ever seen. Because don't That's get, a fair statement. Don't get me wrong. It was fun to see the prequels, but it was pretty much the prequel movies, and that was it. There, mm-hmm. there were some books, but like they weren't heavily tied in with anything. They were just kind of they were kind of like off on their own thing. If you want to read them, you can, but it's not required reading. Yeah, you know the comics were there, but again, it was off on its own thing. Take it or leave it. You know, and then you had the Clone Wars, and you had Rebels, and and whatnot. You know, and and sure, some of the video games were good over this, but again, none of it really tied into anything. It was all kind of its own spinoff stuff. You know. But you've with the Bad Batch and and Clone Wars that's happened and basically everything that's happened since you know Mandalorian season one drop. Which don't get me wrong, the sequel trilogy that the built up to that with Force Awakens was some of the most fun I've ever had online with social media. But once you had that drop, it kind of things kind of took like a downward spin with like oh I love it, I don't love it. But once season one of the Mandalorian dropped, it's been an upward swing. And, and it's just been real good to be a Star Wars fan. Oh, absolutely. And I think this season really reflects that because you're allowed to take a deep dive into a certain history of the, of the Star Wars universe that we really don't know a lot about, and that's the Mandalorians. And to see how Din Djarin's character took a side role this season, right? I thought it was very brave on the writing part yeah. because that could have gone very south. Like, it really... Yeah, it, yeah. Because fans are used to... It's Grogu, it's Dinjarin. All the marketing is focused on them. Right. So if you don't have strong writing to build up Bo-Katan, right. the season could be considered a failure, even though it's far from that. Katie Sackhoff really got a chance to shine in this role, and I really loved the time they spent giving her basically the show and letting her run with it because her character had a very compelling story, more so than Dinjarin's. Because Dinjarin is in this weird state where it's, You've already accomplished your main goal. Mm-hmm. Now you're transitioning into another one, which is going to open up a whole lot more doors. But at the time, right? It's we're still keeping Grogu safe. Yep. We're running from the Empire. That's it. Mm-hmm. But now he had a new role about learning about the Mandalorians and you know reclaiming Mandalore, which has always been something in the back of his head. You you did a, a three years. Of a Star Wars property where Jedi and Sith weren't the focus. Yeah. Sure, Luke was there, but... Well, let's be honest. It's, it's a cup of tea. Yeah. And yeah, okay, Grogu, if you want to get real technical, is a Force user, but he's not a Jedi or a Force user in the sense you think of when, like, you say, oh, what do you picture a Jedi to be? And you, somebody might say, oh, like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. You know, so he's not a Jedi. He's not a Force user in that sense. But you did 24 episodes of a show where Jedi weren't the focus... You know, the uh, the Emperor or Sith of some sort or like some sort of rem- remnant Sith weren't the focus. And you didn't have a Skywalker involved. Like I said, other than for the cup of tea, a couple of episodes. Yeah. It's astounding to say. It's astounding, but it shows about what this universe can do if they really open the playbook. And that's what we got this season. So it was every episode a hit? No. I mean, 
like we say, we were very critical about the one that felt like filler because the Mandalorian part in that really was. Was short, yeah. So you have to really take some points off there. But overall, it proves why this show is still a big hit. It proves why it is one of the most watched programs on all of streaming slash television. Mm-hmm. And it proves that the fan base will always tune out or tune in rather than tune out if the writing is good and the acting is good. And that's what you get with this show. I thought the ending was a little fast, but sure. I'm not mad about it because they really tried cramming in a lot. Had they split the episode, the final episode into two parts, I think it would have been a little better because mm, you could have extended that fight between the Mandalorian army and the empire a little better. I thought, I thought it was just really sped through, but I don't think it took anything away overall. It's just to my liking, but I think for where it ended, it really bookends everything. And mm-hmm. if we don't see the Mandalorian for a while, I will not be super surprised Right. as far as a story fan, but I will be surprised as a business decision. Right. So we'll have to wait to see how this all plays out. But Pedro Pascal and company did another fantastic job, and I'm sure the fans are going to be talking about it all over the place this week and in the upcoming months. Well, why don't we start the conversation now, shall we? Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the season finale of The Mandalorian? And what about the series in general? Let's talk about that, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything live stream for The Cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I am the host of the live stream for The Cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer and over the past six years we've made that difference together amazing listeners amazing viewers amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together and we've raised over seventy thousand dollars but this year we're going to make our biggest difference to date and we're going to raise twenty five thousand dollars for the cancer research institute tune into the event at twitch.tv slash live stream for the cure starting may 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's keep that Star Wars talk going. Hell yeah. I know Pat alluded to this last week, and obviously there's a lot going on in both the sports and entertainment editions of the ODPH, so we didn't get a chance to really deep dive into this. But I saw the ending as well, and I feel that it is very, very worthy of having a segment on the show. Pad, what show are we going to talk about? The Bad Batch. Yes, the Disney Plus Star Wars animated series about... I'll have you break it down. A misfit group of clones who are not your standard clones. They're genetically modified or unmodified, whatever you want to say. Uh, Each of them have a special set of skills uh, that make them a danger to folks like you and I. Uh, and about their travels through the galaxy post Revenge of the Sith, where they don't want anything to do with the Empire, mm-hmm. but the Empire wants everything to do with them. Yeah, it's a very interesting series. I gotta admit, I'm, I'm jumping in late mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to Pat about this, but from what I've seen of this show, I'm really impressed with it. And I know that I believe Dave Filoni has something to do with this. He is the supervising uh, director. Yeah, so if Filoni is attached to this, you know it's going to be very, very solid. And this season has been 
and especially going into the season finale because mm-hmm. it has been announced that we are going to get a third it's... season and a final season of the Bad Batch. Yeah, the so the episode dropped originally on March 29th and then last weekend or not last weekend, two weekends ago now, I think, mm-hmm. uh, at Star Wars Celebration in the hour and a half panel they had, which was all their announcements made that we talked about last week. Uh, there is going to be one more and one final. There is going to be one final season of Bad Batch, that being season three. Yes. Don't know when it's coming. No, no idea, but I would imagine that we'll see it sometime late in 2024. That would be my early prediction. Late 24, probably early 25. Like I said, I've heard nothing about where they are production-wise on it. Right. But that being said, we are going to talk about episodes 15 and 16 of season two, both entitled, uh, respectively, The Summit and Plan 99. So much like the first segment, we give a spoiler-free statement on both, and then we're going to go deep diving after you hear the countdown go off. So, Pad, that being said, let me know your thoughts about the two-season uh, finale here. Uh, so, yeah, the, the for episode 15 and episode 16, amazing episodes. Some of the better writing I've seen, and goddamn, especially episode 16. Rip my heart out, why don't you? Mm. Stick the knife in there and twist it a little bit, why don't you? Step on it a little bit, why don't you? It's it's incredible writing. It's emotional. You know, it's it's gut-wrenching if you've been there with these characters since they were first introduced in the Clone Wars Season 7, you know, all a couple of years ago. You know, but it's, it's one... And, and the cliffhanger ending with Episode 16, dear God, like, I have not seen a cliffhanger ending that made me want the next season like that in quite some time i thought this season in general has been very very fun to watch and especially for me coming in late to this series i think they've done a fantastic job about establishing these characters it takes a little while to get going if you're you're coming in late though i will give fair warning about that but i think they've really hit their stride as they've gone into the season finale and obviously releasing two episodes on the same day you know they wanted to make a big exclamation point with a season finale Mm mm-hmm they absolutely did that. And especially if you get invested into these characters, there is one moment that is going to really make you jump out of your seat a little bit and really yeah. have that kind of connection where you know if the writing of a story is good, you get a reaction out. Mm-hmm. Like You don't just sit there and give a passing glance to yeah. it. And much can be said about an animated show or an actual TV show too. When you can connect with characters like this and you really invested in what they're doing and then something happens to really set things off, mm-hmm. you're going to react in one way yeah, or another. Like you just, you have something that kicks in you're like, <gasps> or what, you know, just a reaction comes out and yeah. that's how you know they got you. Yeah. Uh, for just want to point, uh, bring one thing up for anybody looking to get into the show, you know, you might be going, oh, I don't know anything about the characters. I like Star Wars, but eh, I don't know. If you want a good introduction for these characters, because the first episode of season one isn't a traditional pilot in that they introduce all the characters and they go through kind of the the motions you would expect with a pilot because they did a soft pilot of sorts back in season seven of the Clone Wars. Watch the first four episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars. So that the first episode is titled The Bad Batch. Second episode is titled A Distant Echo. Third episode is titled On the Wings of uh, Karedix. Uh, and then the fourth episode is titled Unfinished Business. Those four episodes are your pilot for this show. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, some of the characters from Clone Wars do factor into the story a little bit. But the main focus of those four episodes is the Bad Batch. 
Yeah. So, so watch those four episodes because, like I said, don't know when season three is coming. It's going to be a little while, so you'll have time to watch it. This is animated, this so this won't be 45-minute to an hour show episodes. These are, these are going to be short, so you can get through these quick. But like I said, if you want to jump into the show in between seasons, watch the first four episodes of season seven of The Clone Wars, and then you can jump into uh, The Bad Batch. Yes. So it is definitely worth the time to do, especially with now <laughs> the Mandalorian being done. Yep. You're going to need something to watch on Wednesdays. I will say, especially for Star Wars, there's not really nothing until Ahsoka comes out in August. Right. So it's a perfect time to get caught up on this. And really, with these two episodes, there's a definite intent to watch. Yes. I would say if you if you even catch a glimpse of this, you definitely want to go deep diving into the series. So that being said, Pad, it's spoiler time talk. So let's do this. Three, two, one. Talk to me. You know these these last two episodes. Like I said, they were good. They were they were incredible. You know, the summit was a fun episode. Some uh, fun cameos. If you didn't really pay attention, you might have missed some uh, interesting cameos with uh, episode fifteen, the summit, in Plan Ninety Nine. I, you know, looking back, should have saw what was coming based on the title, and I'll get to that when we get to that point. Uh, because God damn it, I should have realized what was coming. Because if you're a long time Star Wars fan and you've seen the Clone Wars. Once you got up out of the episode, if you didn't know what was coming, you're kicking yourself going, God damn it, I should have realized it. Uh, but no, the two episodes was fantastic. And, and like I said, I can't speak on that cliffhanger ending and off because holy shit. Yeah, I was really shocked at the ending of uh, or Plan 99. Yeah, that one really got me. I was like, all right, because like I say, I've slowly become invested with these characters. Sure. And seeing how the one death <laughs> happens. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to go down. I thought they were going to pull some movie magic out. Yeah. No, but that really gave some gravity to the situation that's at hand. And it was really well done, especially where it sets everybody off moving forward. Because where this whole story jumps is the Bad Batch is chasing after Dr. Hemlock. Mm-hmm. Now, Pat, what's his story about? So he is a member of the Empire. He's an Imperial. And it, it appears he falls under the purview of uh, Mo, uh, Moff Tarkin, uh, you know, because Tarkin orders him around and he says, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, but he is the one in the Imperial who's kind of in charge of the cloning side of things. You know, they, as we saw or as was alluded to, they don't really trust the Kaminoans anymore. So that's why they just, they destroyed the Kaminoan cloning facilities. But obviously, as we see with this series and then with the Mandalorian down the road in the timeline, they're still very goddamn interested in cloning. Yeah. Uh, so he's the one who's interested in it. Uh, we even see at one point during the season, he has captured uh, or has brought him the Kaminoan prime minister, Lama Su, uh, who you might know from uh, attack of the clones mm-hmm. as the one who Obi-Wan Kenobi visits with. Uh, but yeah, no, he's the guy kind of in charge and kind of running the cloning side of things at this point. Yes, so the Bad Batch is really trying to track him down. Mm-hmm. And they follow him to a summit uh, hosted by Moff Tarkin. Yeah. And it's on the planet Eradu. Mm-hmm. And the deal here is the Bad Batch knows he's up to something. Uh-huh. And the rumor they're kind of basing this around is the Kaminoans cloning tech is here. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to stop this at all costs. Uh-huh. And they really are trying to be very tactful about this, but obviously this is a very big empire hub. Yeah. To say the least. No, so we got to remember, this is not in Mandalorian times where they're a, f- a fraction of what they used to be. Now nah, they're a full force. Yes. This is, I'd have to look up when this takes place in terms of the timeline, like 
date-wise, mm-hmm. this is not far after Revenge of the Sith. Right. So they are still in firm control of the galaxy. Exactly. So any move against the Empire, you know, is going to cause a full retaliation. Uh-huh. So they're trying to be very, very tactful about this because obviously with the Kaminoans te- <coughs> being involved and we're having more clones, that's a sore subject yeah. to them. Yeah. And they know that what can happen if it's in the hands of the Empire. So they're uh-huh. trying to be a little more proactive about saving the galaxy. Albeit, though, as they're sneaking around the base, they do find out that somebody else is lurking around. And, Pad, who is that character? Sagarera. Yes. Dude just won't go away. No, he's definitely made his impressions uh, felt. Obviously, we saw Force Wicker playing him yeah. in the live-action version. Voices the... him in this series, too. Yes. So they understand that he's there on his own little mission, too, which is basically he's going to start killing some people. <laughs> which is basically fuck your life. Exactly. As we like to say, Pad, reasons. reasons. Nevertheless, Guerrero has his own intentions going on. Mm-hmm. But the Bad Batch also has their plans as well. Uh, also got to point out, there is a fun Easter egg in the scene with Tarkin and their whole council, I guess you could say, that you might have missed it if you didn't hear the name mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a certain character played by Ben Mendelsohn. It's not the first time he's played this character. He played the character in Rogue One, Oh, Orson Krennic. I did miss that. Uh Uh-huh. Orson Krennic's in this episode. Huh. And they bring up how the Death Star project is going. Or, or no, they don't mention Death Star. They They mentioned something about... They mentioned Stardust. Yes. They mentioned how how, uh, Operation Stardust is going, which was the code phrase for the Death Star. See, I didn't catch the name, but I did did catch the project name. Yeah, because they don't say Orson Krennic. He just kind of quickly mentions, and and now we're going to, because it's right as the scene is ending. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, and now we're going to turn to to Director Krennic about how Project Stardust is going. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a little fun little Rogue One tie-in. See, I love how they put Easter eggs throughout this entire series. I I geeked out, I got to admit. Yeah, like I say, they're very smart about what they do here because they tie in so many of the different live-action shows. Like I say, if you're just tuning in for the first time, yeah, you're learning a lot about the Star Wars universe while it's getting mixed in. All I'm going to say is subtitles help a lot. Yes, they do. <laughs> definitely recommend watching this show with them on. It definitely helps, especially if you're not as uh, well-educated as Pat is with the Star Wars universe. But as they're making their way through, obviously somebody hits the alarm. Because <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, because obviously the Bad Batch, even though they're trying to be very stealth-like, they're sneaking around. It's just not happening. Yeah. And they do cause the concern of the Empire to get raised. Yeah. They start coming after them. Right. But Saw Gerrera does help them out because, obviously, he's on his own mission. Well, does he? <laughs> well, in his own mind, he does because yeah, yeah. he has explosives set around. And he's got an itch to use them. Mm-hmm. He's got a hole burning in his pocket. Yes. So while... The Bad Batch is trying to escape on a rail car. Because mm-hmm. at this point, they realize the mission they came there for is a wash. Yeah. Like, we, we ain't, ain't going to make it out of here if we stick around. Right. They they realize uh, they've made a terrible mistake, so to speak. <laughs> Abort mission. Abort yes. mission. So they're jumping on the rail car, which, I mean, that's uh, very high up in the sky, too. <laughs> for Star they're Wars. above the clouds. Yeah, which, I mean, that was just kind of a scene in its own right, too. It's like... Or maybe it's fog. I don't know. You, you don't know, but on this planet, it could be anything. Yeah. But we do know that there's a long way to the bottom. <laughs> oh, not yeah. even if they want to rock and roll. Yeah, there is. And while they're on this rail car, and in the opposing track, too, is the Empire shooting at them. Mm-hmm. Guerrera sets off those explosives. Yep. Which 
He thinks he's doing something noble. Oh, I'm helping. Not so much because mm-hmm. it causes the rail car to get stranded. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're now stuck th- thousands of feet in the air, and they're taking fire yep. from the Empire. Oh, by the way, there's Imperial starships, not TIE fighters, because TIE fighters aren't around yet. Right. But there are Imperial starships flying at them and taking target practice at them. Yeah. Because, hey, it's a stationary target. It's absolutely insane seeing this go on. And this was just episode 15, the summit. Yes. Now going into episode 16, Plan 99, this is where everything really comes together and really hits. Damn it, should have seen this coming. Because as they're getting attacked, Mm -hmm. they're also having their real car is starting to slip off the tracks. Because there's more than one car. There's like two or three cars. Yeah, it's it's a long attachment. So it's not just, I guess the easiest way to describe it is like, like a subway car. Yeah, that's probably yeah. Thank you. That's where I was like trying to say it's almost like a train esque subway car. Yeah, it's like a subway car. And their one half is now getting knocked off the rails, like completely. Yeah, because as the bolts are starting to get short circuited out from the cells uh, explosions. Yeah, you see that one of the bad batch wrecker. Yep, is trying to save it. He he's literally holding the whole thing together by himself. He he is the muscles of the group. Yes. But another member is jousted yeah. from the car. Yeah. And that's Tech, who has to throw a like Batman utility It's like a safety rope or something. Yeah, safe safety harness up to the car. So he's literally hanging from the car by his belt. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a weird scenario that yeah. it's like literally tied to his belt and he's just like free falling. It's almost like when you bungee jump. Yeah. That's the easiest way to describe yeah. it, except he can't pull himself up. He's literally stranded in air. He's getting shot at, mm-hmm. too, which is how crazy this is. Yeah. And all the while, you see in Wrecker is like, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. We'll find a way to do this. Right. He tries shimmying up the rope at one point and gets up a pretty good distance, I would say. Not close enough to like, oh, I can reach out and grab you, but he still gets a part way up. Uh, and then another blaster bolt comes in and shimmies the, the entire car. You know, the one hanging in midair and the one holding the rest of the crew. Mm. And it knocks him back down to square one even further down, I would yeah, say. Yeah, he almost loses. Like, the rope that is connected to the belt almost severs off. So he's literally just stranded, and yeah. he knows there's no way to survive. Yeah. So Wrecker is in there screaming at him, like, we're going to get you, we're going to get you. All the meanwhile, at this point, Omega has come and is now watching. Yes. So... Things are now going very, very badly for the batch. And Tech says one of the most coldest lines yeah. ever. Yeah. Because Wrecker's like, we're going to save you, we're going to save you. And he goes, you know, we're not going to give up on you. Yeah. And and Tech just looks at him and goes, nah, it's not like we ever followed the rules anyway. When, when have we ever followed orders? Yeah. And he shoots the rope. Yeah. So he winds up free falling to his death. Mm-hmm. From like I say, from the belt harness, he's just just drifting away. Shout out Kevin Kiner, who is the composer for the music in this series. Yeah, the music at this point was phenomenal. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy to see this scenario play off. Like I say, you see just the belt snap. Yeah. He goes drifting away. Yeah, and, and, and this is a good point to mention for me that it was a good thing my girlfriend when I was watching this episode, Liz Bailey had gone to bed when I was watching this part of the episode because at this point when the heart when the car fell, I started sobbing. Mm-hmm. Not even afraid to admit it, because like I said, I've been investing in these characters since they got introduced 
in Clone Wars that like he felt his death and the music kicked in. And then, and then you had Omega's reaction where like, cause the other, the weight dropped and the, their car reattached and they started taking off again. Speeding. Yeah. Speeding. And you just hear Omega pleading with whoever it was in the car, go back, go back. We have to go back. Yeah. So you're seeing, obviously the batch is now just devastated at a loss of one of their own. Yeah. So as they have to really disappear, because obviously this is a big defeat. Well, they find out that there's a traitor amongst the ranks. Uh Uh-huh. Pad, break this scene down. So after the car crashes, because as the car resumes its pace, the brakes are out. Yep. It crashes. They all fall. Omega gets knocked out. They then, the Bad Batch escapes the Empire and retreats to Org Mantell. You know, to basically recoup and recover and kind of like, all right, what the fudge are we going to do now? Uh, you know, they're betrayed by Sid, who is the, I for, don't really know what the, the race is, but she's been the one who's kind of been the, the go-between for the jobs. It's been like, hey, I've got this job. It, you, you need to do X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> you know, here's what it pays. And they go, yeah, sure. So while they're having a heart-to-heart moment, you know, with with Hunter and, and Wrecker and some of the other ones are, are talking with Omega, you know, it then comes upon and gets discovered that there's a hefty bounty on their head from the empire. And it's such a price that Sid can't say no. Yeah. And she ends up turning them into the empire and the empire shows up to capture the entire crew and Omega. It's a wild scene because Sid is the amphibian bar owner. Like that's the way I, I was yeah. thinking yeah. kind of in the same sense of grief cargo from the Mandalorian. Yes. At, well, at one point grief cargo. Yes. So you see now the Bad Batch is betrayed. They're in trouble. Um, yeah. And obviously... I, I looked it up. She's a Trandoshan. Okay. So she's like uh, Bosk from uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So now they're in trouble. They wind up getting rescued. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, one is captured Yeah. during this whole rescue scenario. Yeah. And that's Omega. Yeah. So now things are going from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. So as the Bad Batch is still reeling from a loss, can things get worse for him, Pad? Oh, well, they do. Or break it down for us. Yeah, so basically they have to, I don't want to say sacrifice Omega, but they have to give her up or else bad shit's going to happen. And Omega is brought to Mount Tantus, uh, where she encounters Crosshair, who they've been looking for this entire time and has realized the error, error of his ways and gone, fuck, the Empire's not as great as I thought it was. Uh, and she also runs into Nala Say, one of the Kaminoan cloners. Uh, but also she runs into a character, and I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize. Uh, Amiri Carr, E-M-E-R-I-E-K-A-R-R, who has a full-blown con- who has a conversation with Omega and reveals, Well, oh, hey, I know a lot about you because I'm your sister. Yeah, this was absolutely wild to see. And we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. And that's how the end is the episode. Yeah. So not only do you have to deal with a death, a betrayal, a reveal. Like, yeah. they literally stack the deck here yeah. of the range of emotions you go through as a fan of this show. Like, you've got a hunter who's ready to, like, call it quits and go, you know what, we just got to take our losses, go home, and, and, and just live. Mm-hmm. To, well, now he promises, well, we're going to find Omega. Yeah. To... Hey, she's captured. She's in the Empire's hands, who they've been looking for her for all of two seasons now. Mm-hmm. 
And, oh, by the way, we thought she was the only female clone in the history of the Kaminoans cloning Jango Fett. She's not. There's another one, and it's her sister. Yeah. Absolute bombshells going on. Yeah. But it goes to show how good this show is. I mean, low-key, I want to say, too. Mm -hmm. Because this does not get the fanfare of The Mandalorian. doesn't get the fanfare of Rebels, I would say. No. I mean, obviously, Clone Wars is still a very big part of the Star Wars mythos, but... See the spinoff and the quality of the writing here, too, mm-hmm. like I say, and especially with the talent of the voice actors involved. Yeah. Like, I mean, this show really stands out, and I and I really loved how they loaded this finale up. Like I say, it's two-parter. Everything that was in the summit, I thought they really set up. Yeah. And then Plan 99 just really took it to a whole different level. Like I say, when you have Tech hanging on by his belt mm-hmm. and just, like, trying to sit there and be calm, and Wrecker is just screaming at him, like, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you, and then he drops that line on him. It's like, oh, man, all the emotions just start hitting. Like I said, though, Clone Wars viewers, if you didn't pick up what was going to happen with this episode, God damn it, by the end of it, I should have realized, because Plan 99 is a reference to Clone 99, Mm. who was in Season 3 of The Clone Wars, where I think it was the second episode entitled Arc Troopers, could be wrong, where the planet Kamino is invaded by the Separatists. And the, the clone troopers there have to fight off the the battle droids who are invading their home. Yeah. And at one point, and so during this episode, the first two episodes, you meet this clone whose name is 99, mm-hmm. who there was something wrong with him. He didn't ever go into battle, but they didn't waste him. They just kept him on Camino, and he's basically the janitor. And at this point, he's been, he's the 99th clone, so he's reached old age at this point. And all he wants to do is help. Mm-hmm. So while they're fighting, while the main group of clones for the story is fighting, uh, in, including, I think, Rex and Cody are there, too. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've seen the episode. While Rex and Cody and the rest of the clones are fighting in the dormitory portion of Camino, you know, they run out of uh, grenades mm-hmm. to use. And, and uh, 99, in an effort to want to help them, goes, oh, I'll go get more supplies you know, I'll, I'll help. And they go yell 99. No, don't. And it's and it's spoiler. Alert, but hey, the episode's however many years old at this point. Right. You know, he runs off and the camera closes in on his head and goes, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was bred for. And he ends up getting cut down. Yeah. Sacrificing himself. So that's when I realized, fuck, I should have seen what was coming with plan 99 referencing clone 99. I mean, it's a smart play and obviously keeps everybody at bay. You know, from really yeah. seeing what's going on. But this is how good this show was. Yeah. Like I say, especially for me, I'm not as versed in it as you are. Right. But I was very impressed with what I saw this season and then this finale, too. Like, they really cap things off that you know they're coming back. And it's almost like, how do you survive what they're in now? Like, you, right. you know that their ending is not going to be a happy one. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Like, I think their finale of the series could be one of the most depressing things in Star Wars history. It probably could be. Like, in all legitimacy. And it's, it's not taking any shots at it, but it's just, I think that for what they're trying to do with these characters and how noble they've you know recovered and been through everything and still standing, I think it's like they're setting up for the big loss at the end, <coughs> even though it's Star Wars. Right. But obviously, the, with the time period they're in. It's the dark times. Yeah. Like, there's really no hope. It's very bleak. 
and yet to see them still strive forward. I mean, it's, it's something great to watch, and obviously we're gonna you're gonna need something to watch during the Mandalorian gap time. Yeah, now, you know, like highly I highly recommend it. Yeah, so this will be a perfect time to fit get caught up before Ahsoka hits, and then obviously there's a lot more Star Wars projects coming on. But yeah. in, that, in that gap time of the Mandalorian, this is a perfect series to get caught up on. Any final thoughts before we end it? Great season. Sucks that we gotta wait however long it's gonna be for season three because God. Damn it, that, that cliffhanger. Uh, but I might do a uh, rewatch of like Clone Wars plus this. I'm kind of getting that at you again. Uh, but no, fantastic season, fantastic show. Cannot recommend it enough. The Bad Batch is on Disney Plus, so definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod, and let us know what you thought about the season finale for season two. Definitely excited to talk about this show with everybody, so make sure to hit us up with the hashtag and let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is a happy birthday and happy 20th birthday to one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. And I would say fairly underrated, maybe. Uh, hashtag ODPH Pod. Tell me what you think. Uh, and that is the movie Holes, which came out uh, on April 18th, 2003 in theaters, directed by Andrew Davis. Uh, written by Luis uh, Sahar, who, based on the book of the same name, uh, the book released in 1998 uh, to critical acclaim. Uh, it won the uh, Ferrer, Strauss, and Garot Award. The Blue, uh, or no, excuse me, that's the publisher. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it won the U.S. National Book Award for Young People's Literature. And in 1999, it won the Newbery Medal uh, for the year's most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. Uh, so I first heard about the book way back when I was in elementary school and I went to the library for something. I can't remember what it's been. God knows how many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the librarian showed an episode of, uh, re- or a portion of reading rainbow, uh, and was talking about this book. But at the time, like the description they gave wasn't real involved. It was kind of simple. And I, and I really didn't care for it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then the movie came out and I was like, yeah, yeah whatever. And then, but then my mom rented it when it came time and I ended up watching it and I absolutely love the movie. If you haven't seen it, it's on Disney plus, uh, the movie had a budget of six, $20 million, uh, according to box office, mojo.com, uh, it's opening weekend gross was $16.3 million. So it almost made its budget back in one weekend. Oh, wow. And it ended up finishing with a worldwide total of $71.4 million in change. So definitely made its money back. And then some, uh, star-studded cast, I, I would say, for all things considered. Shia LaBeouf plays the title character of Stanley Yelnats. Also in the movie is John Voight, Sigourney Weaver, uh, and then just to name some other ones, Henry Winkler's in the movie as well. Rick Fox is in the movie as well. Patricia Arquette. Dulé Hill, who you might know from uh, such shows as Psych and The West Wing. Was, okay. Was on Suits and Ballers for, uh, for a handful of episodes. He's in the movie as well. Like, so like I said, fantastic. I would say it's under it's underrated just because... If you watched it when it came out, I think you'll love the movie. You might have read the book and, and you'll love the book. But I would say for folks who might be of an older generation, you know, who didn't read the book or didn't see the movie, or even I would say the younger folks, it's not really talked about much these days, you know, just because it was on TV a lot 
when when Disney Channel was was showing uh, movies during the summer afternoons or on weekends or whatnot. I don't think it's in heavy rotation these days on TV, mm-hmm. but underappreciated, I would say, because like I said, it's one of the most faithful adaptations from book to movie I can think of. There's not much, and admittedly, it's been a while since I've read the book. Um, but I don't think there's much from the book that's left out in the movie. I, I don't think there's anything at all that's because it, it's a relatively it's a kid's book. It's a relatively short book, but it's a it's very faithful to the the source material. So if you haven't seen the movie, highly recommend you go check it out. It's an hour and fifty seven minutes, so it's it's a short movie. It's not Return of the King extended edition. Yeah, I was so, gonna say I can't do those five hour ones. So it's not a marathon, but no, it's on Disney Plus. Highly recommend you go give it a check. It's a good movie. I to be honest with you, Pat. Until you mentioned it, I never heard of it. Sure, and that's, uh, that's like, my point. But you know me; I'm, I'm not super Disney aficionado. No, sure, but like I said, when, unless you grew up and you were of my age, right. when, when the book came out and you heard about the book, and then the movie came out and it was promoted ad nauseum on Disney Channel, which understandably so. Oh yeah, absolutely. You might not have heard about it. Yeah, so this might be. Yeah, I might have to go take a perusal of this if like I can I said, say that. Like I said, it's based off a kid's book, but it's not a kid's movie. It's it's a fairly standard, I would say. 2000s not Disney animated movie. Okay. If, if you've seen anything Disney from that time period where it's not an animated movie, it's kind of of that same vein. Okay. It, it's a good movie. That's fair. Uh, also got some movie announcements. Uh, we found out what's going on with the Godzilla movies. And no, I'm not talking about the Japanese movies. I'm talking about the American movies. Uh, because as was, I don't want to see a reporter, but as was kind of speculated, uh, people weren't sure what was going to happen with the Godzilla franchise. Because as was rumored, there was only a three-film deal between Toho Studios, who owns the rights to the Godzilla franchise, and uh, Legendary Pictures or WB or whoever the hell owns the rights. Yeah, it's so, always a complicated process. It's a complicated process. But it was believed there was only a three-film deal uh, between the two parties that be. Uh, And and obviously with the release of Godzilla vs. Kong, that deal was up. And nobody was quite sure what was going to happen because obviously you had the Godzilla in 2015. I think it was 2015. Mm -hmm. With Bryan Cranston came out to smashing success. Then you had the second one, which I believe was titled Godzilla King of Monsters, I think is what it was called. All I I haven't seen the movie in a while. All I remember is they destroy Fenway Park and I cheered. Yes, it was amazing. Why? Reasons. Reasons. Uh, and then you had the third one, which was Godzilla versus King Kong. But the thing is, is that like if you go look up the numbers for the, those three movies, each time the returns on the box office kind of dipped a little bit. Yeah. So it wasn't quite sure if they wanted to keep it going, if it was financially reasonable. Well, we found out what was going on today because as was announced uh, by the folks over at uh, Warner Brothers Legendary, whoever the hell it is, uh, we found out what the next movie is going to be and it's Godzilla X Kong, um, which I'm guessing it's supposed to be Godzilla and Kong, but X looks better than the and symbol. I don't mm-hmm. know. The New Empire. And it's like a 30 second teaser with somebody sitting on a throne, but I can tell you that it's, it's a kaiju, so it's a monster. That sure as shit ain't King Kong, mm-hmm. that sure as shit ain't Godzilla sitting on that throne. That's something sitting on that throne amidst a body, uh, a graveyard of sorts of other kaiju. So it's killed a shitload of kaiju. And then the camera just keeps pan- zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, zooming out until you see the skulls of Godzilla and King Kong. So uh, we found out it's releasing only in theaters in 2024. Uh, and then according to an article from uh, Hollywoodreporter.com, says it is set to hit theaters March 15th, 2024. 
Adam, uh, quote, Adam Wingard returned to direct the upcoming installment and Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, and Kaylee Hoddle returning to the franchise. Uh, if you're not familiar, uh, Rebecca Hall played Eileen Andrews in the, the last film. Brian Tyree Henry played Bernie Hayes. And then Kaylee Hoddle played Jaya. Uh, and then the article goes on to say, uh, Dan Stevens, Fala Chen, and Rachel House are among the new the cast of newcomers. Uh, so Dan Stevens is known for playing uh, Matthew Crawley in Downton Abbey, David in The Guest, and he was Beast in the, the uh, 2017 Beauty and the Beast film with uh, Emma Watson. Okay. Fala Chen, you might know, is playing Lee in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. She was Cynthia Kang in Irma Veep. Uh, she was Jolene McCall in The Undoing, and then she was also herself in Marvel Studios Assembled. And then uh, Rachel House is known for best known for being uh, the voice of uh, Grandma Tala in Moana. She was Paula Hall in uh, Hunt for w- the Wilder People. She was Aunt Gracie in Boy. And then she was also Topaz in Thor Ragnarok. So, uh, hey, I'm, listen, it's more Godzilla, it's more King Kong. I am on board. I don't need much to get me to a movie theater other than King Kong and Godzilla in the same movies. Like, yes, I am an old school monster movie fan, so I I enjoyed the recent run of Godzilla yeah. movies. Uh, the Matthew, more destruction. Yeah, Matthew Broderick one, not so much for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll just put it out there. Um, I liked it as a kid. Now, yeah, not so much. Not so much. Um, but I I didn't mind the last movie that came out, so was kind of interested to see if we're going to go back. To this universe and obviously yeah. with that teaser the trailer universe yeah i mean i don't i don't know where we're going with this but i mean yeah. i'm gonna go check it out because these are the definition of popcorn summer blockbuster films it, it's it, it they're the movies where it's a hot day you want to get out of the sun you mm-hmm. want to go relax you go to the theater you sit down in some air conditioning you get some popcorn you get maybe an icy drink and you relax yes speaking of popcorn movies where you turn your brain off and watch the action uh, we found out who is going to be the director of the 11th and allegedly final. Allegedly. Allegedly final Fast and Furious film. Family. Uh, family. Uh, and reading from an article on Variety.com, quote, Louis Leterrier is staying in Dominic Toretto's family. The transporter Helmer will serve as director of the next film in the grand finale, allegedly, allegedly, of the Fast and Furious franchise. The new project will serve as a companion film to Fast X. The 10th the title in the Vin Diesel series, which opens May 19th. Uh, Leterrier replaced Justin Lin as director on Fast X last May at a breakneck substitution that clearly resulted in something meaningful for the team, uh, which includes p- producer star Diesel and legacy cast Michelle Rodriguez, Lucas, Ludacris, excuse me, Tyrese Gibson, and Charlize Theron. Uh, Luis joined the Fast and Furious team seamlessly with an innate understanding of the franchise that is stronger than ever after two decades. Under his direction, Fast X is a high-intensity high thriller with all the spectacular action, emotion, and twists that fans have come to expect. And then some, said Universal Pictures president Peter Kramer. We are thrilled that he will continue to work his magic in the director's chair. Close quote. Well... He clearly did something that Vin Diesel liked enough that he kept him around. Because yeah. let's face it, he's the director in the credits. We know who the director is behind the scenes. Exactly. I mean, it's almost like Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. We know who's calling the shots here. Yeah. And it's it's Vin. And like I say, if you understand the reference, you get what I mean. This yeah. is Vin Diesel's show. And yeah. it doesn't matter who's yeah. directing. Like, I'm surprised he's not directing. To yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. You know, it's it's just 
one of those situations where this movie franchise and it it, it blows my mind to this day mm-hmm. that we're here. Yeah. Like however many years later, like 20 years I believe you 20, said. 20 plus. Yeah. Like I remember watching the first one and like it was what it was, not going to lie. The fact that we're now here, and I, I called way back when we were going to space in the last one, and sure yeah, enough, what for, happened? First, hey, we went into space. I looked up the Fast and the Furious. The first film came out in two thousand one, so we're twenty two years. Yeah, like the fact. I guarantee you this: like the last one, quote unquote, will come out next year. Yeah. Oh, we're coming back for twenty five. Well, there's no way they're not going to do that. And allegedly, and uh, this is all rumors and speculation. Allegedly, allegedly. So don't crucify me if this doesn't end up being true. Allegedly. We might see Paul Walker's character return in the final film, which I did see somebody come up with a fan idea of how it happened. And got to admit, what I saw, I really fucking liked. So we'll see what happens. That would be interesting. I've, I've heard the rumor. It's not, it's not confirmed. It's not, yes, this is happening. I've heard a rumor that we could see Brian return in the final Fast and Furious movie. Well, I'm sure for the final movie, they would find a way to honor the late Paul Walker. Which they pulled it off in, what was it, Seven, I believe. Yeah, I think it was seven. Seven, because they were they were halfway, three quarters of the way done filming when he passed. Yeah, so I wouldn't doubt that they're going to try doing something. I know they're very desperate. At least the perception is. Sure. So I'll put the allegedly sure. desperate. Uh, just how it reads to me about getting Dwayne the Rock Johnson back in the in the fold, right? For just the final movie, I think they really wanted to get everybody that's ever been involved with this franchise in. And, it, and, and I understand it's a very noble idea. I mean, and I mean this in the reference with The Rock. Right. We know that publicly there's issues there between him and oh, Diesel, to put it mildly. Yeah, there are. And I, I don't see him coming, but I could see that everybody else that's been a part of this, they're going to honor in one way or another. So I don't doubt it. It is what it is. The fact that we got to 11 films is 10 more than I thought we were ever going to get to. Technically 12. Yeah, that's right. I forgot the spinoff. Spinoff. But here we are. Um, it's Vin Diesel's world, and we just got to remember at the end of the day. It's all about family. It's all about family. Yes. Uh, sticking with movie news, got to give a real quick uh, review. I watched The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die. Okay. This was the Netflix film that is the f- the final uh, product, whatever you want to say, call it, of the uh, Last Kingdom franchise. Started out on the BBC, eventually moved its way over to Netflix. And I got to say, it's not a perfect film, mm-hmm. but it is it is a good film. I know it's a little divisive if you look online with some of the Last Kingdom fans. I enjoyed it for what it is. Now, personally, I should have done a rewatch before I watched this movie because I admittedly, it's been since the last season dropped since I've really watched the anything Last Kingdom, so I forgot some of the stuff that had happened, and it took me a little minute to go, okay, let me get reacclimated with stuff. Sure. But the, the story is something you would expect if you've watched the the five seasons of The Last Kingdom on Netflix. It's of that same vein. More, It's batshit crazy insane. Uhtred gets his ass kicked a couple of times, and then you get to the final battle, which is all sorts of insane. If you've seen the movie, because I don't want to go into spoilers, for those of you who haven't seen it, if you've seen the ending, tell me your thoughts on it. Because mm-hmm. there's a little discussion that can be had about the ending. And if uh, ha- uh, hashtag ODPH pod and hit me up at Meselin, M E S E L Y N, tell me what you thought of the ending. Uh, I'm curious to, to hear people's opinions about it. It's a, it's a good movie, I would say. It's fun if you, like I said, if you've seen The Last Kingdom, highly recommend you watch it because, hey, it's the last thing we're going to see, presumably, from that franchise. 
Yeah, I haven't got a chance to check this out, but I, I've heard there's a lot of online chatter about oh, it, there is. to say the least. I'll tell you why off-air. Okay, definitely. Because I, I don't want to go into spoilers. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you could spoil to me off-air, but yeah, for anybody else, though, hit up Pad, and like I want to see this discussion online, too, about this, yeah. so hit him up. Uh, and then in switching over to some video game news, because holy fuck, I didn't see this coming. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, Harry Potter Quidditch Champions announced testing signups now open. What the fuck? Yeah, what's going on here? So the article reads, Warner Brothers Games has announced a standalone Quidditch experience called Harry Potter Quidditch Champions and playtest signups are now open. According to the game's FAQ page, Quidditch Champions will allow uh, players to partake in the Wizarding World's iconic sport and other broomstick adventures alongside friends in a competitive multiplayer setting. Playing the game requires constant internet connection, hence Warner Brothers Games is holding a limited playtest for people to try out the new Harry Potter title. During the playtest, you can either play the game by yourself, or you can team up with friends and other people online. You'll also be able to create and customize your character for your liking. Quidditch Champions has been in development for seven, several years at Unbroken Studios, which is also lending a hand in developing Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Warner Brothers Games released the following statement about Quidditch Champions' connection to the Harry Potter franchise alongside Port Key Games, which is publishing the game. While Port Key Games are not direct adaptations of the books and films, the games are firmly rooted in the magical universe of the Wizarding World. While remaining true to J.K. Rowling's original vision, Port Key Games developers chart new territory by creating fresh ways for fans to immerse themselves in the Wizarding Worlds. The announcement of Quidditch Champions comes on the heels of the release of Hogwarts Legacy for PS5, Xbox Series S, slash X, uh, and PC, which sold over 12 million copies two weeks after its launch in February, despite controversy surrounding the Harry Potter author. The game will release on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on May 5th, while the Nintendo Switch version comes out July 25th. Uh, you can sign up for the playtest on the official Quidditch Champions website if you wish to get a first look. To, more, to learn more about the game, join the game's Discord server. The playtests will begin on April 21st. So the reason I say I didn't see this shit coming was because I figured if they were going to do anything Quidditch, they would have added it into Hogwarts Legacy. Sure. Because you can fly around in Hogwarts Legacy on brooms or other things if you haven't modded on PC. There's some great mods out there. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Uh, Shrek. That's what I'm going to say. Wow. Oh, yeah. You can find the videos. Uh, but you can't play Quidditch in the game. I figured they would have added it in as DLC or something. But Quidditch, for being as popular as it is in the franchise and in the real world where people play the sport on college campuses and all over the world, you know, they've never really done much with it. You know, in, in the video game adaptations of Sorcerer's Stone, the first book, the remake, not the PlayStation 1 game, uh, and then Chamber of Secrets, and then there were, it was briefly in the Half-Blood Prince video game. They did It was in those games. Mm -hmm. They did a standalone game which released on, what day did this one release on? Uh, North America came out on the 28th of October, 2003, and it came out for Microsoft Windows, so PC, PlayStation 2, the original Xbox, GameCube, and then the Game Boy Advance. It was a game called uh, Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup. So essentially the way the game worked was you started off at Hogwarts as somebody who was, you could pick whichever house, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, or Ravenclaw you wanted to play for. You'd go through the basics of how to play. And then you would play in the Hogwarts 
uh, Quidditch tournament mm-hmm. where you'd have to beat all the other three houses, try and win. You know, you'd play as a chaser, you'd try to score points, and then you fill up a bar. And once the bar filled up, you know, you'd go into the portion of trying to catch this the golden snitch, which once the, that's caught, the game's over. Mm-hmm. You'd go into that, and then once you'd beat that, you'd unlock the World Cup portion, which basically was, I forget how many world uh, countries, it was probably like 10 or 15 countries you could go and play as and compete for the World Cup. So, like, England was in there, the United States, Brazil, France, Germany, you know, a bunch of other. I know, I remember the U.S., and each one of them had a unique stadium. So, like, England's was in a castle in London or something like that. I remember the United States one very vividly because that one was set in Salem, Massachusetts, which was a really cool aesthetic. Oh, interesting. Really cool aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Fun game. Never been re-released, never been remastered, never done anything with. So the fact that they're announcing a Quidditch game basically 20 years after the last one focused around Quidditch came out is kind of wild. But I'm excited for it, and I'm, you better bet your ass I'm going to sign up for playtests on this one. I was shocked to see this come. Yeah. I honestly was. I was not expecting this in on my radar <laughs> any which way, shape, or no, form. No, neither was I. So I know when I immediately got the email about it, I'm like, I'm sending this right to Pad. And yeah, you gotta let me know how this goes because yeah. I this is intriguing. It, yeah, th- thank you. That's it, the word it, I'm looking for. It, it sucks that you need a constant internet connection because I know for folks in rural areas that's not entirely possible. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would prefer to see something that like okay, you know, kind of like a Call of Duty where older Call of Duty. I don't know if this is still the case, but like you could play Call of Duty offline. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the story, and then there was some offline stuff you could do. You didn't really need to be online all the time. But, like, the fact this needs a constant internet connection kind of sucks for some folks. So, unfortunately, it might hamper them a little bit, but this is still incredible to see. Yeah, absolutely. So, definitely something to keep an eye out for moving forward. And then a little, one last thing, a little bit of fun, because this came across my wire as we were recording, and I'm like, ooh, i got to talk about this one. So, this, uh, reading from an article on Variety.com talking about uh, Ocean's Eleven, the 2001 film. Okay. Uh, so, the article reads, quote, Steven Soderbergh's beloved 21, 2011 God, 2001, keep butchering that. Heist comedy Ocean's Eleven remains one of the director's most star-studded affairs, thanks to an ensemble cast including George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, Don Cheadle, and more. It turns out the group wanted even more star power, as Clooney recently confirmed reports that both Mark Wahlberg and Johnny Depp were approached to star in the movie Really, via Entertainment Weekly. Quote, Steven had just done Aaron Brockovich in Traffic, and he was nominated for an Oscar for directing both films, Clooney said during a discussion with Soderbergh at the TCM Film Festival. So people really wanted to work with Steven. Uh, Soderbergh added, quote, That said, some people did say no to us. They did, Clooney said. Some very famous people told us to fuck right off. Mark Wahlberg, Johnny Depp. There were others. They regret it now. I regret doing fucking Batman, close quote. <laughs> we elsewhere, during their TCM Film Festival conversation, Clooney remembered how they got megastar Julia Roberts to sign on to play his character's ex-wife. Quote, We sent Julia a script, and I wrote a note saying, quote, I hear you get $20 million a picture now, Clooney said, and we sent her a $20 bill. It made her laugh, and yes, she jumped right on board. Uh, close quote. 
Ocean's Eleven earned critical acclaim and grossed $450 million at the worldwide box office. The film spawned a franchise that led to two sequels, which the original cast, 2004's Ocean's 12 and 2007's Ocean's 13, plus a female-fronted spinoff with 2018's Ocean's 8, starring Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett. Uh, close quote. So a little bit of fun. I gotta admit, Ocean's Eleven is still a lot of fun. I rewatched it last year because somehow my girlfriend had not seen that movie hmm. still holds up to this day still i know some people like the original and hate that's fine you know do you but this movie is incredible from start to finish and is one of the better movies so highly recommend you check it out if you haven't but the fact that they approached mark Wahlberg and johnny depp and they both said to fuck right off is kind of incredible you know i can see johnny depp doing that because in my opinion like he does a lot of different projects yes so i could see him saying like this feels too mainstream with yeah. how many people are involved and i could yeah. I, I could see him saying no to this yeah Wahlberg is a bit surprising to me yeah like like i could see at that time though i could see him saying no because he's he's doing his own thing mm-hmm. at, at his own stage so yeah but that's a little more shocking for him depth didn't surprise me that much okay just because, like I said, he's, he's an interesting he's guy. He's always been uh, marching to the beat of his own drum. Yeah, so like I'm not super shocked by yeah. that. Yeah. Speaking of super, this week marks the annual Superman Day all across the world. Mm-hmm. Celebrating 85 years of the Man of Steel. Yeah, since he first appeared in Action Comics issue number one. Yeah. Now, this is crazy for me to think that he's been around for this long. Oh, I know. And I did an article for Nerd Initiative, which you go to nerdinitiative.com. You can find it on there. Uh, kind of talking about what Superman means to me and what I think of the day. But since Pad is a extremely big Superman fan. Hell yeah. Pad, break it down. Like, why is Superman so important? Why is that day so important? So the day is important to me because, simply put, Superman is my favorite superhero of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a time where, for those who don't know, I was born in 1989. You know, so the Superman movies were long since over. You know, and and I was too young for the Batman films. Right. You know, because one came out before I was born and then the rest of them I was too young for. Um, so my, like, like I said before, my first exposure to kind of like the superhero genre was Batman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I, and I watched it as much as I could. I had toys and I had action figures and I had everything else. But then once that ended and transitioned over to Superman, the animated series, you know, this was a character that like I'd heard of, but I didn't know too much about because I remember on, I think it was like Saturday mornings or something. The, or, or maybe it was I had a VHS. I uh, Yeah, no, I had a VHS of like a collection of just kind of random cartoons. Like Popeye was on there. Okay. The Three Stooges cartoons were on there. But then also it had the Max Flesher uh, animated series on there. The, the real short, the real short stuff. And that was kind of like my first exposure. And, and, and admittedly. For as cool as that intro was, like, oh, faster than a speeding bullet, powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap a tall building, a single bomb. Like, it was cheesy, but there was something about it that, like, connected with me, and I was entranced about. So when they went and did Superman the Animated Series, I was real into that, mm-hmm. you know, and I love that. And I even had, I remember going on uh, vacation in, around the time Superman the Animated Series was on, so this was, like, the late 90s, maybe, like, 97, 98, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a bookstore on vacation in Delaware and, you know, could have picked my parents like, okay, you can go out and you can pick a book, 
of any sort, whatever you want, and we'll buy, we'll buy it for you. And I, you know, I was into Star Wars at the time, so but I wasn't finding anything Star Wars that was jiving with me. And then I saw the rack of comic books. Mm-hmm. And the, to that point, the only comic I had ever been given was a Captain America Don't Do Drugs comic book. It was, okay. like, it was like a free one my dad had gotten at work. He gave it to me. I saw this Superman comic, and this was post-Death of Superman. And this was when it was Superman Red and Superman Blue. Oh, jeez. And I went, and as a kid, I was like, what is this? Yeah. I was like, I want this. And I got like two or three issues, read them till they fell apart. Gun admit. You mm. know, as a kid, I, I, I just kept rereading and rereading them. And, th- and then you had, you know, I started getting into some, you know, not cartoon shows. And I started watching some stuff. And then Smallville came around. Hmm. and dominated my life for literally 10 years where I did not miss a single episode when it aired. Right. That like, now I, I watched, so I missed some of them when they live aired live, but I did not miss a single episode because this is before DVR. This is before TiVo. You know, this is before streaming. Mm-hmm. This was before Hulu live. So, you know, there were some nights that whenever it aired because it changed nights a couple of times. But I was busy. My parents would set our VCR to tape the episode, and I would watch it like that night or the next day. Hmm. You know, so Smallville dominated my life for ten years, and you had the Justice League uh, cartoon and Justice League Unlimited. So it's just he was a part of my life for so long that there was just something about him. You know, the truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Now, you know, truth, justice, and American way back then. Mm -hmm. That it was just something like. It was something to, like, strive to and, like, look up to because, hey, this is a guy who wasn't from here but is trying to better things and trying to make a better tomorrow, you know? And it, and it's just been something, that, like, it's always stuck with me that, like, for as much as I love Batman the Animated Series and I love the Batman game. Sure, sure. I love Superman more. No, I, there's nothing wrong with that at all, Pat. And I, I kind of touched upon that in the article I wrote. For me, and I'll just kind of keep it brief, uh, Superman has always been timeless. Yeah. And I think that no matter what phase you go through as a comic fan, and even now as a pop culture fan, him being the ultimate Boy Scout still connects with people. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. He's the ultimate good guy. He's the ultimate end-all-be-all superhero. He's mm-hmm. the definition you think of. Yeah. No matter even like when I know Spider-Man might be more popular these days and, and Batman still rings true and... Obviously, you can go through the the different Avengers now that have really encompassed pop culture. But Superman has always represented hope. Yeah. And he inspires everybody because it's not the powers he has that does this. Mm -hmm. It's the actions he does with them. Yeah. And I think no matter what time period you see him in, that theme still remains strong and true no matter when. Even even in, like I, I refer to this in the article as, post-Watchmen. Sure. Because you know my opinion is when Watchmen came out, it's before Watchmen and after Watchmen. Sure. Because Watchmen, which is such a fantastic read, redefines your concept of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And it really challenges the Superman mythos. But when Superman is done right, it never wavers. Right. And you're seeing that more recently now, too, we have James Gunn, who has been very adamant about how he's making Superman the focal point of the mm-hmm. new DC Films franchise. In fact, he even released a picture yesterday as we record 
of Superman Legacy, the script he's working looks on. Looks like a, it looks like a draft is done, and he said himself, the film has entered uh, pre-production. Right. You're seeing that in the movie aspect of things. The TV show, which we talk about nearly every week, except it's on hiatus this week, yep. by coming back next week is Superman and Lois, yep. with Tyler Hoechlin capturing the the late Christopher Reeves energy yeah. and really modernizing what you feel about Superman. Like it reminds you when you see him and what he's doing with that character. Mm-hmm. It reminds you of why you like Superman and why he connects. The TV show it connects with people on such a way that, you know, Superman and Lois connects with people in such a way that like, admittedly, I haven't asked my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, which Superman movie she's seen, if any at all, mm-hmm. between the Christopher Reeve movies, you know, the Brandon Routh film or any of the Zack Snyder films. You know, because she and I started dating after the Zack Snyder films had wrapped up. You know, not counting the the Snyder cut. But yeah, like, yeah. But like Man of Steel, Dawn of Just, uh, Dawn of Just, uh, Batman, Superman, and then the initial Justice League. That was all before we started dating. So I don't know if she's seen anything Superman. Mm-hmm. But she's you know been in the room when I'm watching Superman and Lois, and she's really gotten into the show. And like you said, you know, there was no episode on this week, which I didn't realize until it was night off and it was time to watch. I was like, oh, I guess there's not an episode this week. And she was really bummed because she's really started liking the show. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I was like, hey, listen, once this season is over, because I was like, I don't want to confuse you with, with different plot lines and all this other stuff. I said, once this season is over, I will go back and watch the first two seasons with you. Yeah. And she got super excited because she's like, oh, that's awesome. I love this show. Yeah, no, because the show carries the themes that really make you remember what Superman represents. Yeah. And that's truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. I know the the phrase has changed over the years, but that's what it always should be because he he inspires you to be better. And that's the one thing that we've seen throughout his time in comics that as the the franchise character of DC Comics, I mean, let's face it, Batman and Wonder Woman are up there, but Superman is still the number one there. Whenever they show the triumvirate, who's always in the middle? Yep. It still is the definition of the superhero, and that's why it still connects with so many people. And... Going into the comics aspect of things, right now what they're doing at DC Comics is some of the best Superman comics in recent memory. Yeah, You have the brand new series, Adventures of Superman, focusing on Jonathan Kent, Mm -hmm. written by Tom Taylor, and that's been absolutely amazing. The brand new Superman book by Joshua Williamson. Christ almighty. How good has that been? Jesus, it's been some of the best writing I've seen and Brian Michael Bendis did a run, which I really love. Yeah, it might be better than Bendis's run it, right now. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a really new run, but it still it, it hits you with that. Like I mean, I remember picking up that issue number one after hearing about it at New York Comic Con, and I was like, okay, this sounds dope. Yeah, and I was like, holy crap, they nailed it! Like you get it, and that's what it makes it a must read each and every time. And especially like this will kind of lead into where our comic picks are this week. There's a Superboy, the Man of Tomorrow series now coming out. So Superman is still relevant, and you can see the effect is still being felt this day in age 85 years later because at the essence of who he is, he's still inspiring. He still proves that you can still be a a good person (laughs) in this very interesting world of comics and pop culture and just the standards that he's – moving forward. I mean, that's just something that no matter what time period you're in and no matter how cool it is to be bad, so to speak, there's always going to be an audience that centers around Superman yeah. and always is going to be for the test of time. So there's a reason you still see Superman t-shirts mm-hmm. to this day, no matter if there's a movie coming out soon or not. 
it represents for a reason. Like I say, I, I go into a little more deep dive on the Nerd Initiative uh, article, so definitely go check that out. Let me know what you think about it. Hit Pat and I up and let us know what your favorite Superman comic story is. Pat, you got one quick or no? Uh, so favorite Superman story? Oh, gosh. Um, I know I threw you on the spot. No, you no, you did. Um, probably Death of Superman. Yeah. Which I know might be a, a cop-out answer, but for me... Again, when I started getting into the character and I started getting into some of the comics, I had no idea that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Just because that happened, I wasn't really aware of it. You know, I I didn't really pay attention to the news. So I probably heard the news story, but it just didn't pay attention to the news. It didn't occur to me. I didn't find out that was a thing until I was at my local library looking for some stuff to check out. And I was in the Batman stuff and Superman stuff, and I looked up Superman on the computer, you know, the, the catalog. And that was one of the first things that popped up. It was a novelization mm-hmm. of the death of Superman. And I went, wait, what? Yeah. I was like, he dies? And I was like, I need to read this. And I literally read the thing in under a day. You know, just because I, I was so just mind blown that the guy who, like, can bullets bounce off of him, nothing seemingly hurts him. His only weakness is kryptonite that, like, somebody actually kills him. Blew my mind. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I love Death of Superman. There's a few other stories I I could go into real good arguments about, but I think the that whole storyline really encompasses who he is. Yeah, and you can see the fallout, and especially for that time period too. Superman was considered uncool, and I think the the sales were not doing in my eyes that well. So they they did that, but I think at the time nobody knew the impact it was going to have. And then when that story came out, just how it affected people. And then when they came back with the rain and really just went into a completely different direction, people really appreciated what they had. You want to know how earth-shattering and crazy that whole death of Superman was? Darkseid was at his funeral. Yeah. Like, you don't believe me, Google it. There is, I'm showing Ken, there's a seminal famous picture with the Justice League carrying the casket with his logo on it, but then all the heroes behind him, and who's right there? Dead Sunner. Yeah. Dark side. It's, it's an awesome story. Like I say, you should go check it out. Dan Juergens was the architect behind that, and just, oh, my God, it's it's so good. It still resonates to this day. It's it's well worth the read. And like we say, hit us up on that hashtag and let us know what your favorite Superman story is. I definitely want to throw this out. I'll definitely make a tweet about this later at ODPH Podcast on Twitter. So we'll definitely get some interactions about this. No questions about that. So that being said, Pad, what's at the comic shops this week? Well, obviously, Superman issue number three is out this week from Joshua Williamson. I don't want to spoil anything on this one. I won't read the description. All I'm going to read is the little tagline at the bottom of the cover. Night of the Parasite. Oh, yeah. oh damn. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's going on. You've got Nightwing issue number 103 from Tom Taylor, which is still phenomenal writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then over on the Marvel side of things, Amazing Spider-Man issue number 24 from Zeb Wells. Uh, description on this one witness what brought peter parker and norman osborne together your opinion of who the hero is and who the villain is may end up at least blurred yeah this is the storyline that they are really hyping some drastic changes are coming to the spider-man mythos so uh-huh. pad we're going to need to talk about that yeah uh maybe in like a bonus episode yeah. next month so just putting that out there and then lastly, certainly not leastly, Star Wars Yoda, issue number six. This one from Jody Hauser. Uh, description on this one is, Dark visions. A fearful vision has infected the students at the Jedi Temple, leading to a violent confrontation that could spell doom for the world would-be Jedi. Will Yoda sense the danger in time? Or will he lose one of his students forever? 
this has been a fun read. It's nothing super serious. It did. Ha- it does take place uh, before the prequel film. So you, there is one issue where you do get a Dooku appearance uh, mm. as a Jedi, which is not something you see often in Star Wars. Uh, but it's, it's a fun read. If you want to read something Star Wars that's not so serious, not so tied into everything going on, it's kind of off doing its own thing. This is, I, I highly recommend this one. No, excellent picks. Uh, on my end for Marvel... You pointed out this cover, and definitely this got my attention because yeah. obviously with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three coming out, Adam Warlock is a big part of that movie. Yes, and coming out from Marvel is Warlock Rebirth by Ron Mars and Ron Lim, so mm-hmm. very very well established uh, creative team that knows Adam Warlock very very well. So yeah, if you want to get some background on that character, definitely go check that series out. Uh, also, from a publisher that came across my radar, and that's a blaze. They have a brand new book out called The Mighty Barbarians. Uh, Michael, Michael Morrissey, who we know from Barbaric, from Vault, okay, has a brand new book out. Uh, this caught, like I say, my attention because obviously uh, Morrissey, you, his writing of Barbaric is fantastic. So I can only imagine there's going to be some wild, crazy insanity coming out of this book. So that is something to definitely keep an eye out for at the comic shops this week uh, for him and some indie publishers. And then going into the parlay points, this was one of the most stacked weeks in recent memory. Yeah. Uh, kicking off my list, the, I, you know, I don't want to say like comic event because it's crossed over to so many different levels. It's No One by Kyle Higgins, Brian Bulacelato, and Geraldo uh, Borges. <laughs> like the, the mystery going on in the massive verse is taken to a whole different level. This book is absolutely crushing it right now. And the Companion Podcast, the second episode, is coming out uh, today as well. If you're not following what's going on, no one. Like, this has been a true murder mystery crime story of, like, epic proportions. I can't go into it. It's like, it's only two issues. I don't want to spoil anything. But this is something that definitely will stand out to you. And this has got all the buzz behind it from Image Comics and Black Market Narrative. I can't praise it enough. Like, I think it's just phenomenal from top to bottom. And, like, where they go in this story, like, there's a big curveball ending. I don't want to ruin anything, but it lives up to the hype. So make sure you're running out to your comic shops to go get that one as well. From Valiant Entertainment, Exo Manowar Unconquered number 2, following the story of Eric from Dacia and, obviously, his greatest threat to date. A real crazy story going on from Becky Clunland. Uh, Michael Conrad and Liam Sharp. So, like, this has been a real fun series to watch. Uh, a lot of crazy directions going on with this pad. I'll show you some of the artwork here. So, Ooh, yeah, this is yeah, this is definitely going in some really interesting directions. So, if you're an old school Exo Man of War fan like yours truly, this is going to be one that you definitely want to keep on your radar. My pick of the week, though, um, like and like I said, this is a tough week too because there's a lot of fantastic books out. Rogue Son number 12, Ryan Parrott, Abel, Black Market Narrative, Image Comics. They're ending the second arc of the story. And they're taking a break because next month is Supermassive 2. They drop so many bombshells in this book. It's not even funny. There's big moments all around. There's a huge shift in the stat quo. This has everything for you if you've been following the series, and I hope you are because it's one of the best books out there each and every time. It lives up to the hype. It is just absolutely a roller coaster ride, and if you think you know what's going on, you have no idea. The Hellbent story is tied up for now, and man, do they ever put an exclamation point on this book. So Rogue Sun 12 is definitely one you need to have on your radar. Coming from Boom Studios, 
This series has gotten so many fans I know that are not into horror comics raving about it. Justin Jordan, Brom Ravel, Harrower number three. And this story is complete vintage horror comics brought to a whole different level. It's turned up to 10. The story is crazy. It is absolutely wild. And if you think you know what's going on, you have no idea. I know I might have just said that about Rogue Son, but trust me when I say this. This is not your average horror comic by any stretch of the imagination. And where they're going here, holy smokes, man. This is something. I know, Pad, you don't read horror comics. Hell no. I'm not even going to try showing you. Nope. But I'm going to say this. I know so many people that are DMing me about this, and they're like, you got to talk about this book. I fully recommend it. Like, this is making horror fans out of casual readers. Like, that's how good this book is. Okay. Boom Studios absolutely crushing it. This week, three big books from them, too. Second one uh, on my radar, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 107, Melissa Flores, Simona D. Gianfelice. The run they're on right now is an instant classic, and there's no debate about this. It's absolutely taken things to a whole different level. And where they're going with this, they've been building up for some big altercations, and they deliver on it. This is the start of some big action going on. Excellent ending. And like I say, the whole run right now uh, from issue 101 to right now, they're definitely carving their own legacy. And this is something that any casual Power Rangers fan is going to get into. If you're a diehard Power Rangers fan, you're going to be absolutely raving about this. So definitely make sure you pick this up at the comic shops this week. And last on my list... Coming out of the world of Something is Killing the Children, House of Slaughter, number 14. So this book uh, is the anthology series that follows the uh, some of the characters in the Something is Killing the Children universe. And definitely they're getting near the conclusion of the story of Jace Boucher, uh, who is uh, trying to be a hero even though his past is coming back to haunt him, Pad. Uh, listen, this has been a fantastic story. Uh, Tate Brombell, Anthony Infuso, uh the whole team over there is absolutely putting in a lot of work, and this is definitely one not to miss at the comic shops this week because, like I say, House of Slaughter is an easy series to get into by Boom Studios, and it's anthology style, so you it's pretty much just five parts and on to the next one. They're definitely capping off things in a big way, and how this issue ends is, is terrifying and exciting at the same time, if you can even believe that. But that's what they do over there, Boom Studios, each and every time out with this series, and especially something that's killing the children. Fantastic books to pick up this week. And as we always say, make sure to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at. It does mean a lot when you go out and pick up these books. So we definitely like to give you a lot of recommendations. And we also like to share a lot of reviews coming from our fellow fans and fellow podcasts and content creators. Because we're all putting a lot of work to make sure you know about what books to go pick up. Before I wrap up though, Pat, you obviously know Alan Dunford, friend of the show. I do. He's like family of the show. Nerd Initiative is doing a special giveaway involving Grandma Chainsaw. Hey. So if you want to find out more information about that, head on over to Nerd Initiative social media and nerdinitiative.com, and you can find out what is going on there. We're going to be sharing the links on our social media accounts. It's a cool thing to go support this book because the Kickstarter is wrapping up in, I believe, a week's time from this episode. The link is on the ODPH podcast homepage. So if you need to get there, just click on the icon for the cover. It'll take you right there to the page. And just make sure you're following Nerd Initiative to know about what you need to do to enter the uh, the giveaway they're doing. 
So it's some very cool things that Nerd Initiative is doing for this. I guess because nice. I don't want to confuse things with the uh, Kickstarter uh, right legality. Right. This is a Nerd Initiative thing. Supporting Alan because Alan's just a fantastic person. So definitely make sure to go check that out, and you can find all of that and so much more at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Cocaine Bear is now streaming on Peacock. Watch it. You'll thank me later. Facts. Absolute facts. I'm your host, Kenham. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.